Blog Talk Radio. about in and outside of the ring, but per usual, we're going to start in the ring, Teofimo Teofimo Lopez shut down Josh Taylor. Taylor did good in the first probably four rounds. There was some competitive rounds in there somewhat, maybe the 10th round after that, but Lopez, you know, for whatever reason, he needs the lights on him. He needs to be a slight underdog. A lot of people were saying this is a major upset. We talked about that last week, how we couldn't believe the Ring Magazine had it 20 to 0. Now, don't get me wrong. I picked Taylor by split decision, but I did talk about how that, uh, what was it, FanDuel plus 162 or 168, something like that, and then the uh, my bookie was plus 147, I believe, so. Anytime you got a anything under a plus two hundred, especially with the the skill level um, of Lopez, you basically got to take a flyer on it. You got to at least. I'm not trying to say that I had him winning um, previous, but man, Lopez just has a way of you know. It's that old statement, you know. Big big time players make big time plays in big time games, and it, that's just him. That's just him. It's kind of interesting. His father said that, and also uh, Teo was talking about this too, how he basically had him trying to throw like a punch every few seconds and how that worked. And that was for the Loma fight, trying to back him up, trying to occupy him a lot. And that worked for it for that fight. But you know, Lopez Jr. was the one saying, well, it, it, it was messing me up because I wasn't able to read the fighter. I wasn't able to use my not just natural ability, but all my best strengths, you know, the counter punching, the movement, the power pot shots. I mean, once he can find his range, whether he's pushing you back a little bit or on the move um, right in front of you, once he gets into that counter punch, the, like I said, the, the power pot shot mode, he is a tough deal, a tough dude to deal with. And even though he didn't knock, you know, Taylor down or whatever, he definitely at least stood him up and buzzed him a couple times. And he basically rendered him tentative, you know. 
Um, now we could talk about Taylor. How did he look? He didn't look that great, uh, beyond five or six, seven rounds, something like that. I'd say, yeah, once it hit the midway, um, cause like I said, I had him up, you know, two to one and I thought the fourth round was competitive. So I don't think he's, I'm not going to say he's a shot fighter by any stretch, but you know, is he worn out trying to make this weight? He has had some, you know, a stretch of tough fights. That's probably catching up. Maybe it's all purpose. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people say, well, if he goes to 147, they're killers up there. And that is true, but more than likely, Spence and Crawford are only going to fight each other <clears throat> and then move up. That's what it sounds like they're going to do. So there is going to be some belts available, but it is young guys, you know. And uh, will his style translate? He even said that he, he kind of got off the game plan a little bit, whether that was him, you know, having early success and thought he could just figure it out. The ref did a good job of not allowing him to uh, muck it up too much. From the jump, from the early rounds, that ref was on him quick, so that played a part. And like I said, you could, I'm not trying to say that Taylor looked great in the ring because he didn't, but this whole thing of he's completely washed – I just don't know how you're washed, but you come out looking pretty good and win the first couple, you know, two out of the three first rounds. You know what I mean? But, yeah, I do think that trying to make this weight in the combination, you know, of taking some punishment now um, and being off that long. You know, he is a timing fighter, too. He does like to rough it up and all that and get on the way inside and rough it up. But he wasn't he wasn't able to do that. And I thought at the start he was able to do it. He got away with some of it. But also Teo, you know, was starting to punch his free hand, stop kind of looking at the ref so much, and, like, definitely break that down along with the undercard. Um, a lot of things, you know, the showbox card. We'll talk a little bit about the Sonny Edwards fight. First half looked good. Second half, not so much. Hopefully he can uh, match up with Bam here. Sounds like that's getting close. Adrian Broner, Mayweather. We'll talk lightly about that stuff. Um, I mean, we all know what really that you talk about when it comes to the Mayweather fight anyway, but it was nice seeing Adrian Broner actually, you know, make weight and look pretty good on the scale. And I do kind of hope, you know, for the best of them. I know I, I think I said that last week, but we will, you know, start with recap. And this, this next week's kind of like, um, stay on course. You know, stay on course is needed for guys like Regis Progray, right? Tim Zhu, um, even Azim, Adam Azim. Basically, I mean, the Aleem Goodman fight I do like. We'll talk about some other stuff. But Progray and Tim Zhu, you know, they, they definitely need to, course, get the job done. Uh, don't overdo it. Don't try to make some kind of big splash. Just get to your next fight. I mean, especially Tim Zhu because we basically, you know, no, it's going to be for undisputed Jamal Charlo, but pro grade too. I mean, we don't know exactly who would be next. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as far as, you know, Lopez, of course, you know, he says he's retired. When you talk about how much money he wants in his next contract, it's kind of silly. He even talked about how he made, you know, ESPN over a hundred million dollars. It's like, dude, what are you talking about? Isn't that what top rank gets per year or something like that? 
or at least it was prior after COVID, maybe it's dropped. But anyway, we'll talk about that, no doubt. We'll also talk about Canelo Alvarez last week. I was talking about how Samson Boxing, you know, the promoter for Benavides, he came out, Samson, and said, uh, he basically called the bluff and said, hey, we sent you an offer. Now that fight looks like it's off. Samson's out there saying Benavides, Morel Jr. in a great co-feature. We'll see if that happens. I think they were talking about October, but now the new thing is Canelo Alvarez versus Badu Jack in Saudi Arabia. And we, you know, we hadn't really totally heard about it per se, but Jermall Charlo now from a, a couple of folks out there, including Coppinger. I don't know, man. I really don't know. Uh, we have some other fight news like Navarrete and Beldez being done. Crawford, um, Presser today. They got another one tomorrow. Bill Haney and Bob Arum at the table breaking bread. So we're going to talk all about it. Uh, and then, of course, you know, like I said, more fight news. And we always end with a, a boxing Twitter segment where we, uh, you know, have a little fun, go over some great tweets that really, uh, you know, are detailed and, and fit the hit the spot, but also some fanboy tweets that just make you laugh. And then, you know, every once in a while, we got to call out the media for acting, behaving as fanboys. Um, this week, I'd say Max Kellerman. <laughs> fall. I mean, talk about a company, man. This guy's talking about undisputed. So now is lineal just, it doesn't mean anything now? Forget about lineal? Forget about the lineage? Forget about all that stuff? Mr. Historian now just wants to skip the lineal and just talk about Undisputed. Well, he, is it going to go down in history for Max Kellerman that, that T.O. is uh, Tails uh, Undisputed? It's just it's ridiculous, dude. At one hand, we take the belts too serious. On the other hand, it's like, well, wait a second, dude. Like, it just, it's, it's really weird. But anyway, if this is your first time listening to the Ropadope Radio Podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Ropadope Radio. Um, you don't have to go to Blog Talk um, and, and Ropadope and download the show there. If you don't want to, you can find the Ropadope Radio podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Player FM, Spricker, Stitcher, TuneIn, and a host of other places. While you're at it, why don't you head on over to thegruelingtruth.com, Phil Boxing. .com and also uh, um, Boxing 24-7, Eastside Boxing, basically. And one more thing, get your TV your way. Live sports, news, and on-demand, no annual contracts, no hidden fees. For a limited time, get $30 off over your first three months, starting at $64.99 plus tax for a limited time, of course. Um, don't wait. The offer ends. Direct TV stream. Check it out. All right, so um, we have, like I said, a lot to talk about. Devin Haney, Izzy, or Devin Haney, God, well, I guess we got we to talk about him too. But um, I don't know, man. It, it's, it's really interesting because this 135 and 140-pound division, and to be fair, as far as fights already made, now that we got the Spence and Crawford, you know, that, what is it, July 8th? We have two separate fights. All those fighters, all four of them are in the top ten. So that the welter weight is no longer waiting, fortunately. But 
135 to 140, man. There's a ton of talent. Um, Politics obviously can play into it. But Teofimo says he's retired. Now, I don't believe him. You know, I really don't believe him. Um, He was talking about how he made a mill. There's a report out there that he made more than that. I don't want to put him out there or anything like that. I guess I kind of just did. But um, I don't know, man. It's it's, – I, I don't, I don't really take it serious, to be honest. With you. I really don't think he'll retire. Um, you know, more power to him if he does. Like, I'm not going to sit there and, and 100% dog him or anything like that. If he feels like he doesn't want to, you know, continue his career, then, like I said, no, more power to you. I'd rather have uh, boxers, you know, get out early and on top than take a beating. But this would be way too early. I mean. He doesn't even have – he just got to what? Is this his 20th fight? I think it is. So I, I doubt it. I think he's just, you know, trying to raise up his, you know, his guarantees basically. Um, but like I said, at 140, there's a lot to be offered. And, and we'll see where he goes. But let's get in the ring before we talk all about that. Um, and it was a clean win. I mean, that 115-113 stuff, <clears throat> that was pretty silly, if we're being honest. Um, but I, like I said, I thought Taylor got off to a good start. I gave him the first and the third. Um, actually, in the first round, Lopez, I thought, early had that jab and right hand to the body going, something we'll definitely see a whole lot of. But I would say once Taylor got up close, he landed, you know, the better shots. Um, he landed, you know, he put in some body work as well. Third round was a close round. Um, but to the head and body, I thought the better shots were there for, uh, for, for Taylor. Lopez landed a few flush shots. Um, landed a really good shot in the exchange. It did feel like, man, you know, go to the body, Lopez, you know. And eventually he did. Um, second round, though, the counter left hand, short shots. He actually was coming on the inside a little bit, paused. <laughs> um, Taylor had some good movement at the last part, but I would say once the fourth, fifth, and sixth started coming on, that's where uh, Teofimo just took it over. And, and like I said, I gave Lopez the fourth, but I thought it was close. I really did. Um, just, you know, left, Nice little leaping left hands, um, the right hooks. Um, I, you know, I, I thought the lead shots and kind of circling with the little combinations, I, I kind of thought that Lopez stole that round down the stretch. So I actually gave it to him, but I could see, you know, um, how that would go. And even, like I said, in the third round, um, there was the late hit, you know, by, uh, by Taylor, um, in the, in the ref definitely warned him earlier sometimes you know Lopez does put his head into there you know into the guy a little bit and dump down kind of falling into it but um you know that was part of the game plan you know to to rough him up and and get him frustrated but rounds five until nine that's all Lopez that is all Lopez And, and even like in round five Taylor I thought was winning for a little bit but then Lopez once again stole the round, either the lead right hand, the counter right hand, a nice left uppercut, 
and then the counters and just getting the better of the exchanges. Um, and, you know, you did see Taylor jabbing a little bit, but like I said, he just started to be tentative, whether, you know, that's where the weight issues were there, um, just wearing down. He did talk about, you know, his legs didn't feel great by mid-fight, but he also said that he got away from the game plan. Um, actually, I think there's some quotes on the boxing scene when he said that. Um, but once Lopez found that distance, found his rhythm, I mean, it was pretty much a wrap. Like I said, those those power pot shots, um, whether it's lead or counter, I mean, he was just and at times walking to him, you know, using his tech technique, you know, his technique, but also just landing the better shots. And tenth uh, round, you know, didn't look like uh, Lopez was 100% trying to win that round, um, but he came right back, you know with the left hooks, a big right hand and uppercuts in that 11th round, back on those power pot shots. And he was clowning in there a little bit because, you know, that's what happened. It was 117, 111, 115, 113, two of those cards. Like I said, even on a you know night where they get it right, it's like, dude, another one of these fucking cards, dude. You know, like, um, so, yeah, what I like, just speaking of Josh Taylor real quick, do I like his chances, you know, facing a Spencer Crawford? No. Um, some of these young guys aren't quite proven at the top level yet. Maybe he could feel better and have his legs. But then again, if he's going to be on the inside banging with some of these guys, I'm not sure that's where you necessarily want to be. Um, this is from Sean Nam from Boxing Scene. Um, he said he gave no excuses. Taylor post by an interview said his legs were gone, uh, by the back end of the first half of the fight. Uh, Taylor also blamed himself for getting away from the corners game plan, disregarding his jab and relying solely on his left cross cross. You know, I could see later, later in the fight to be like trying to land something big, but that is true. He said, after about four or five rounds, I told my trainer, my legs are away. My legs are gone here, and because I was having success with the left hand, I was kind of loading up on it, uh, stopping working, stopped working off the front hand and whatnot. Um, so from then on, I had a couple rounds off. Then I had a couple good rounds, the ninth, tenth, and then the championship rounds. He held nothing back, yada, yada, yada. But, um, yeah, man, I mean – by the way, Keith Eidick did post an article, and you can get this, you know, not just on boxing scene, but in a lot of places. The event peaked at uh, 980. Uh, the whole, or the, what was it? The, the main event averaged 980. So definitely over a million when you, when you count Deportes and the uh, ESPN Plus and the, you know, and Deportes stuff. So. Definitely, uh, you know, good, solid rating. I did actually think it would go a little bit higher, to be honest with you. Um, just a little bit, nothing crazy. Um, actually, I don't know. Let me check what the lead-in got. Um, because, oh, there was a WWE that night. Wait a second. Um Wait, I'm looking at the wrong date here. 
Oh, it's not even. Oh, here we go. All right, sorry. I just want to see what the lead-in was for the uh, for the UFC. Of course, it was going against the Stanley Cup. I think it was done by then, though, wasn't it? Or maybe not. Yeah, the prelim did average not basically a million nine nine nine. Um, and then the top rank card averaged seven eighty one for the whole card. But yeah, by the time Teo got on, more than likely that game was done. Oh wait, did it go to did it go to overtime? Or was it just a tight game? I can't remember. Anyway, um, yeah, I gotta admit I did think it would be just a little higher than that. Um, but you know, it is what it is. And I don't think it's worth a hundred million dollars, <laughs> like he's saying. But um, yeah, Josh Taylor going up. I mean, I know he said he wants the rematch if it's there. You know, they were both definitely, you know, very respectful to one another. So that was kind of cool. You know, I mean, sometimes the beef just is beef. You know, it's the Charlo J-Rock scenario, and it just happens, you know. Um, But other times, you know, I don't know. I thought Bruce Carrington uh, looked pretty good. Henley LeBron, um, you know, won his 10-round fight. We did have Xander Zayas, who, breaking down that fight a little bit, um, what, the first three rounds, I thought he was doing a pretty good job mixing up um, his offense to the head and body. He looked pretty sharp. He was moving his head. He was at range. He was moving a little bit with his feet. Landon, I mean, from the start, big right hands. He scored a knockdown, what? I think 30 seconds in or something like that, or was it 30 seconds left? I can't remember, but, and then, you know, he definitely had his jab going. He was busier. Um, then I thought that even though Zayas was winning clearly, but he was getting hit more come the fourth and fifth round. Right. And then probably six through eight and actually through, through five rounds, it, it was 91 to 40 for punch stats. So, I mean, he was definitely dominant, but um, you started to see Ronald Cruz have success in spots, especially like the, the eighth round. Um, and, you know, like I said, down the stretch of that fight, um, somewhere maybe in the fifth round, but especially six through eight, didn't Zayas just looked okay. Defense, not you know, kind of mediocre later in that fight. Uh, didn't look, I guess you could say, his sharpness uh, by that time. But, um, yeah, I mean, overall, you know, I thought he, I thought he did pretty good. Um, he still, you know, still needs to fine-tune some stuff. Hopefully they just keep, uh, you know, stepping him up, stepping him up. And, uh, you know, he can, he can keep climbing that ladder, so to speak, right? Um, but what else? So, I don't know. I, I just don't believe – that Lopez is going to retire, man. I really don't. I really don't. And then where are we at with this contract? Because you hear a couple different things. You hear Bob Arum saying, what are you talking about? I mean, he just won a new title, and and sometimes those contracts can add options to it, maybe that they were a little bit more wise when they redid the deal. I don't know. Didn't they redo the deal, like, during COVID? Am I mistaken there? I can't remember. But I don't know, man. Um, you know, he says that – I mean, some of these quotes from <laughs> from Lopez, dude, it's just – you know, I mean, obviously, it, 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 
you scratch your head. You're just like, what? What are you talking about, dude? He's talking about I gotta, I gotta basically say boxing in a sense. You know, I gotta, I have to. I want. I have so many, you know, ideas to basically help boxing that I can't be bothered to to be training and stuff like that. It's kind of like. What's that now? Like, what do you what do you mean? I mean, hey, if he comes up with some great ideas, or you know, he said he's going to open up a gym. Good for him. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not dissing him or anything like that. But you know, he, and he's going to open up a promotional company and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. You know, I think he just wants to get paid more. Obviously, well, that's pretty obvious. Uh, but some of the stuff he was just saying, you know, he's just like. Uh, here's some quotes right here from Jake Donovan. Um, right now, I'm just really, I, I've had a lot of ideas about the sport of boxing. And I really can't do it if I'm always in the gym training and preparing for another fight. So I'm just going to really focus right now on that task. And like I said, if you want to get the youth involved and you want to, uh, you know, do your thing, cool. You know, open up a gym, you know. Be a, a manager or a promoter or whatever, right? I'm not saying you can't be that at all, but I don't know. I mean, even like Senior, you know, Lopez Senior and, and Bill Haney during fight week, they're talking about, oh, you know, I mean, Bill was sitting there saying, hey, can I, can we get, you know, if you win, are you going to fight us? And he was talking about 20 mil, you know, it's like, and even Bill was like, oh, don't, don't do that. You know, don't, don't outprice yourself. You're not going to get twenty million to. You're not going to get twenty million to fight Gervonta. Like, it's not like Gervonta's been uh, getting these guaranteed twenty millions even. Like, it's just it's just silly, you know. And like I said, I, I don't know. They've always been like over the top with their worth. Remember on um, Triller, they were going to do two million with Cambosas, and they had J Lo on the co-feature and. You know, Floyd was going to have to move the date and stuff like that. So, I don't know, man. I think it's just kind of a ploy, which, you know, it is what it is. I don't I don't really look at it like he's, uh, you know, going to actually retire. You know, I just, I don't know. I just don't, I don't think he will. I don't think he will. Um, because there's so much, there's just so much talent at top rank. There's so much talent just in general. There's so much talent. If he's saying he's a free agent, is he really a free agent, or does he want to just sit on the shelf? Because you, can, I, I'm pretty sure you can. You know, a, a, if you're willing to fight and you want to fight, everybody's contracts a little different. But they, whatever you agree to, if it's two fights or three fights within a, you know, a 12 month time or three fights within 16 months, whatever it is, um, the promoter has to provide that, or otherwise, you know sue them or they have to pay you or whatever but can just sit out a lot of the times too so I don't know I mean is he going to buy his way out I don't know he does have some outside of the ring stuff it, it does sound like uh, Teo Fimo was going to get to see his kid here soon and like I said he's got the outside of the ring stuff he has to figure out uh, with his former wife and whatnot, so I don't want to comment on that too much, but hopefully that goes good. And even up to fight week, we saw them having these little mental breakdowns, and, and, and sometimes we can go too far 
into digging into that stuff and and make it some kind of crazy weakness, you know, like it's going to be, you know, I think in a top level fight, it doesn't really seem like, you know, whatever's going on with Lopez, he'll be okay. But in a, you know, a a lower level fight or like a medium, not a huge, huge fight with all the, you know, bells and whistles, so to speak, you know, it doesn't seem like he's 100% focused and actually distracted. But back to that, I think Senior said five weeks out of camp or something. He was, seeing, he was watching some sparring, and they basically got Teo out of having to throw a punch every couple seconds. They said his, his dad against Loma, like I said earlier, I kind of stopped saying that, talking about that, but he, he talked about how he wanted his son to throw a punch every couple minutes or every two seconds, you know, to keep him occupied and all that. And like I said, it, and he said it too. Lopez, that, you know, it doesn't work on everybody, and, and it also gets him out of his rhythm, you know? He's definitely a field-type guy, and, and he needs to use his natural reflexes. Now, when he matches that with fundamentals and, and good footwork and, and upper body movement and head movement, then it gets dangerous, you know, so in a good way. So, you know, you could tell he did fight different. He definitely fought different, and uh, that is, when I first heard about that, throw a punch every two seconds, just do it, just because, and then you're going to carry that into every other fight, the last two fights after that, or maybe the last three, Cambosis too. It kind of reminded me of, okay, so when Randy Moss was here for the Vikings, right, we had this coach who was a great offensive, uh, offensive line coach, Mike Tice, not necessarily a great head coach, but he came up with this thing called the Randy Ratio. And he had it all, I don't know if he had a protractor out there and he was calculating it, you know. He had like a beaker in the lab and he was just, he came up with this formula called the Randy Ratio. And he said it like in training camp, you know, like we're going to get the ball to him every fourth pat, you know. It's like, well, wonder if three dudes are on him and some dudes running wide open. Forget the Randy Ratio, you know. Um, that's what it kind of made me think of like, well, you can't do that for every single game. Yeah. But if he's down the field, I mean, especially when he was in his prime, you were going to get a penalty or he could jump high enough to knock the ball off. It was, you know, if it wasn't, he wasn't in good position or whatever, come down with it. I mean, we call it getting mossed now. Right. But it just, that kind of threw me off, but at least they changed it. And now when I go back and think about it, it's like, yeah, dude. He wasn't fighting like himself, and, and maybe that whole not taking Cambosa serious had something to do with throwing too many punches just to throw. Just like he said, they were countering me because they're waiting on me instead of me waiting on them and me, you know, reacting. Now, some of, he was swinging for the fences against Cambosa's early in that fight, not really respecting him, and there was a lot of shit talk prior to that. But I, you know, I got if we're gonna sit there and and you know, knock down senior because there's plenty of things to knock him down with, right? But then again, the fact that he tweaked it, you got to give him credit on that. And it, and, it, and it definitely made a difference. I'm going to go ahead and bring in John to the frame. Great boxing mind. Get his take on the fight. We'll also talk about Munguia uh, and that great fight. That was a really fun fight. Another heartbreaker. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about a variety of other stuff 
like I said, we'll kind of lightly look at this weekend. We'll talk about news, Canelo, Badu, Jack, and Saudi, and then an outside chance for Jamal Charlo, you know, according to Coppinger and some other. Um, you know, there, there's a variety of stuff uh, that we'll get to as far as fight news and boxing Twitter and all that good stuff. But let's bring in John to the fold here. What's going on, John? How you doing? Chris, how's it going? Uh, definitely uh, was an interesting weekend in boxing this past weekend. Really just led by the two headline fights of the weekend, you know, which you were talking about, you know, Lopez and Taylor and Munguia and Dervayanchenko, Patience. Um, to me, not much else really event-worthy to talk about, but the, the two main fights delivered. Yeah, they did. They definitely did. And, um, you know, I thought, not to, like, go over my scorecard again or anything like that, but I really thought that um, Taylor started out fine. I gave him two of the first three. I thought the fourth was really close. I thought Lopez found something maybe in that round, stole the round later, and then, you know, hit the ground running until, you know, round 10 when it looked like kind of appeared that he kind of just, you know, cruised through that round, kind of gave it away and then bounced right back. But, um, you know, the ref wouldn't allow Taylor to roughhouse. Uh, he even said that halfway through the fight, he was starting to feel his legs or whatever, maybe the some of these uh, tough fights and the weight drain and, and uh, you know, the such a long time out of the ring, whatever the case is. I think people are also forgetting about style matchups in this too. Um, and much like, you know, you can't sit there and, and go with the Ring Magazine 20-0, and 0, right, like we talked about last week, and then just say Taylor was washed, no way around it, you know, as if Lopez had nothing to do with it. And maybe he just had, especially when he's on his game, um, he just had a style that, that caused him problems too. That said, though, you did, Taylor didn't look himself. I'm not trying to say that he looked at his best but he did get off to a good start what'd you see those first couple rounds and then like i said once the fourth and fifth round came uh lopez took the fight over completely yeah well chris you know i I like to break it down kind of with the post-mortem on some especially on some of these big fights and you know look i like to get analytical about it you know looking what was maybe right about some analysis out there and what was in this case, really dreadfully wrong in a lot of in a lot of cases, and I, and I think it was um, people misinterpreting the data. I, I don't think it's Styles uh, myself. I don't think it's that Taylor looked himself, except for Lopez making him look different. I I think it was misanalysis. One thing you and I both totally agreed on, and you didn't hear a lot of other people saying it, but I, I'm going to go through the pieces. You know, in the first going on the round by round two. I thought the three rounds was where you got some controversy, the first three. I thought Lopez won two out of the first three myself. My card almost exactly matched the one that Lopez had the big gap in. I thought he, The, like the 117-111? Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was the 10th or the 11th, but I'm with you. I thought Lopez was in every round in the fight and won a lot clearly and just gave Taylor a beating. I thought he took one round off in the fight. I couldn't remember off the top of my head if it was the 10th or the 11th, but just what you saw, I think he clearly just took the round off. 
I, I think I thought it was basically a beatdown, and uh, uh, he embarrassed Taylor. So that that was my read up. But getting on to the analysis that I think ended up being key to the result, what I was getting to that you and I had both agreed on. I'm going to you know go over some of this stuff where I think what did end up leading to this result where there were signs there. Um, Lopez had a, a bad first six rounds or so against Cambosos where he got dropped. I, I don't know, even to this day, now this part I'm not going to say I know for sure. I don't know if he took him lightly. What, whatever the case was, kind of strange. But you, what you and I agreed on that a lot of other people didn't say and frankly didn't pick up on is, but, you know, after that first six, Lopez got very much back to his old self and dropped Cambosos, had him in trouble. Uh, you know, didn't quite pull out the victory, but he was, he was very close. He was very close, and he got off to that terrible start where he got dropped. And, you know, to Cambosos' credit, he battled to hang in in the second half, but Lopez had taken over and dropped him. Um, I don't think people really looked at that, okay? Um, you know, Chris, and, and this is what's good about you know, the podcasts stay up there, they're recorded. I, I'm not saying anything after the fact, and there were other people that agreed with me. Not everybody did. This was kind of controversial, but you know, you know I have said it on multiple occasions, and I said it after the Lopez fight. To me, Sandor Martin is a guy that doesn't come to fight. I mean, he just comes to defend. You know, he, he tries to pity pad a little bit. And, you know, I, I thought that was a nothing thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, people, oh, well, he looked bad against Martin. Martin wasn't doing anything. Martin was in there to survive. I mean, you know, when you get a guy in that complete survival mode, it was like Tago. You know, it wasn't as bad as this. I mean, Martin was more competitive. But, I mean, like when you had, like, Tago just trying to survive against Garcia and Garcia didn't stop him. I mean, you know, the guy the guy's in there to make sure he goes the distance. I mean, I just didn't think Martin – was, was doing anything great. And it's not against boxers. It's the way that guy fights. So I didn't take much out of that. You know, he, he knocked out campus who's not great, but one thing that wasn't mentioned enough was remember that campus when aged well quickly, when he gave Brandon Lee hell. So, you know, that knockout was looking a little bit better. You know, he looked great against Lomachenko. Uh, when Lomachenko came on some, he shut the door in the 12th. And, you know, we, we know Lomachenko's got a lot of skill. So, you know, I think for Lopez it was, look, you know, he, he was saying things that made you wonder, me too. So you were worrying a little bit about, well, you know, did he have the stumble against Cambosos early because of his psychological state and stuff with dad. But, you know, dad trained him a long time. Didn't mention last week he brought Gamach in for the Lomachenko. Looks good, but Dad had had him back since the amateurs. The, you know, P.O. Lopez fight, nobody really disagreed with that. So, you know, there, there was probably too much of a devaluation of Lopez going in. You know, I, I did say I was just a little bit worried about Lopez's stability, but I, I never went out and picked Taylor. I didn't straight out pick Lopez either. I, I did say he had more talent. I stuck with that. Another thing you and I agreed with, and I think this was a key part of the analysis then too on the other side of it, People were starting to make Taylor into a fighter that he wasn't. He's, he's a low-volume guy. And remember, again, I said that before the fight last week, not after the fact, and you saw those punch stat numbers last. His volume was anemic against Lopez. So, 
you know, he, he, he's not a guy that throws a lot. So this idea that, like, Taylor was going to bully Lopez and stop him, you know, I also said Lopez has got too much offense for that. He's not getting bullied by anybody. You know, he's too dangerous. There's too much offense there. And there was no bullying by Taylor whatsoever. Taylor, I think, thought he was going to do a little bit of that. He got pounded. I don't think it would have made a difference, but he probably would have been better off just standing at range and trying to make it a stinker and seeing how that came out. I think Lopez still would have been too quick for him and got to him. Um, But, you know, just getting close and, like, he was going to lean on him or fight dirty. I mean, he, he just took a pounding. You know, he, he just took a pounding. So, you know, and, and here's the other thing with Taylor that I didn't think people were reading right. They they, they hype up these things that you got to look deeper into it, and they throw out these stats that don't mean what they seem like they do. They started saying, well, Taylor has these wins, these four straight against these undefeated fighters. Well, one guy they throw in there was Kong Song, the pathetic IBF mandatory who – like you said, Chris, Bob Arum's had these truth bursts in recent years, even though he, he was the guy that famously right. said, you know, I was lying yesterday, today I'm telling the truth. But he, I think this was one of those truth bursts after that Kong song fight with Taylor because Top Rank controls what ESPN is going to show, even if it's not straight one of their promotions in that deal. And, you know, they had that on. He said, I'm, emb- you know, I'm embarrassed. This is garbage. These mandatories are garbage. You know, it was embarrassing that we even showed this thing. So you have people who are trying to make a case for Taylor. Set, you're putting that 16-0 and 0 by that guy in as, well, that's one of the undefeated fighters he ran through. And then the other one they were putting in there, Ivan Baranchek, who has, you know, the heart of a lion, but he's a, he's a punching bag in the ring. The guy got, you know, beat up then by Montana Love and got stopped by Zapata. That was another one of the undefeated guys they were throwing in there. And, you know, Taylor didn't stop him. He dropped him, but really it was pretty competitive. He clearly won the fight. But So they're throwing in him as an undefeated guy. And then you had the other two undefeated guys, Ramirez and Progre. Okay, Taylor scored knockdowns against Ramirez. One clean, you know, they were both clean punches, but one was on a break. Um and then he did nothing in the second half of the fight. He almost blew the decision. So that was one of the wins over the undefeated. You know, uh, 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 you know, credit him for the knockdowns, but the fight, the fight was tight on the cards at the end. Uh, and Ramirez has proven to not be a puncher. And then Progre, who I do think a lot of talent-wise, you know, got off to a slow start. That's Progre's fault. But came on strong, was busting up Taylor at the end, fight. Could have gone either way. Wasn't a robbery. Taylor got the nod. So, you know, you're not trying to be hypercritical or anything. I said Taylor has talent. I still think he's he's got talent. That's not my point. My point isn't even that he's not good. But my point is, you know, the analysis was kind of making the guy into something that he wasn't. And plus, he went into this fight. Let's not even talk about styles and layoffs. He's seven years older than Lopez, and it's a 140-pound fight. I mean – you know, when you got a seven-year age gap and, and the 25-year-old guys play a lot of times, and it did because Lopez was much faster. Again, Bob Arum, he, he's in his 90s, but he hit the truth on one aspect of it. I mean, Lopez was way too fast for him. Anybody that, you know, watches boxing, you know, watches boxing, knows boxing, you could see that in that fight. And I thought most of the fight was a beatdown. I thought 
Lopez was on the verge of stopping him a couple of times. Um, took that late round off, but other than that was, a, you know, pretty much a domination. I was outraged by the two cards that had it close, but I'm going to apply what I always say. You know, Chris, when you looked at those cards, those two cards gave Taylor the first three rounds. After that, they pretty much matched what happened. Um, and and I'm going to even say, like those first three rounds, like you and I keep talking about current boxing methods of scoring. You know, those were fights, though, those were rounds there wasn't as much to choose from. So, you know, I want to say it's a disgrace, but then when you look at where they had the discrepancy, those were rounds that, like, you know, you gave two to Taylor, I gave two to Lopez. You know, these two judges gave three Taylor, but can I just scream because they gave three to Taylor and, you know, I gave two to Lopez, you gave two to Taylor kind of hard to scream about the one-round discrepancy. So it was shocking to me that when the fight ended, those were the scorecards, but I think that's how it got there. Um, It was that discrepancy in those first three rounds that were tight. Now, to me, though, it wasn't tight after that, except for the round that Lopez took off. I mean, I just thought he was beating him down. Um, I I didn't, you know, some people said Taylor had his moments and stuff. You know, what moments? I mean, what moments? The guy was getting beat up in there. Um, so, you know, I just thought it was the, the Lopez, the talent turned out, it was still always there. The psychological stuff, even now, I'm not going to claim to be a psychologist. Just like that was another thing I said pre-fight on the, you know, show last week, uh, that part I was on about, you know, you, you don't really know we're, we're not, we think we know this stuff, but we're not professional. So I'm not even going to say, I know that now I'm with you. I mean, I doubt he's really retired, but. You know, who who knows? Um, One part I can tie into there, what you were talking about, uh, and it's going to fit what you said, this to me is the objective part. Like, look, Tio had a tremendous performance. Uh, This was a great fight to be on regular TV. And where boxing's at, the numbers maybe could have been worse, but the ratings weren't good enough. I mean, the ratings are not going to command the kind of money he's talking about. They're not going to put him on that. I thought it would peak higher. I got to admit, yeah. I, I, it had a, it had almost, it basically had a million uh, lead-ins because it was nine nine nine. That's what the UFC uh, prelim was. So usually it builds on top of that. Yeah, for a better event than the UFC prelims, that that does trouble me some, um, and and it just shows you how you can't go anecdotal. Um, I was in New Jersey at my niece's state track championship meet, and and so you had people. You know, good call. Yeah, congratulations Jersey's, on that, by the way. Yeah, that, sure. that was exciting. And, and Jersey's a very diverse state. Um, and, you know, what Chris is alluding to, our proud uncle, she she did win the Group 1 title in the 1600 and the 3200, so it was a great day. But, you know, Jersey, Jersey, I think, is just about the most diverse state in the country. So you have the whole state cross-section there. And there were there were some people in the stands talking about the fight. And I like to say, and I think it's true, they're really oh, wow. casuals. But I know that they were the equivalent of casuals because they were saying it's, it's a junior middleweight fight. So, but they were talking about it, you know. And I, yeah, and I, right. I chimed in, and like I said, man, I haven't heard they had the somebody talking about right? it. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't heard. Yeah, I haven't heard anybody talking about you know a, a fight you know like that just casually, like where you just hear them talking about it for a long time. But the, the numbers didn't reflect it. And, you know, the fight was in New York, not far away. So, you know, but just shows you about anecdotal evidence, though, because the numbers didn't reflect that. Yeah, I would have thought for a fight this good, 
And, you know, Taylor has had some appearances. Lopez has had enough appearances. You know, I, I thought – but I guess you know, that, that UFC pay-per-view, Nunez and everything, you know, kind of took some shine away from it or something. It probably did, unfortunately, uh, with that with with that lead-in audience. Because let's face it, you know they do that, but a lot of that lead-in audience is going to buy the UFC. So, um, yeah, starting eleven at the East, I say that all the time, but you know it, it matters. You know that's that's just that's just crushing your rating. You know it's not it's not in premium cable where they got that habit that didn't really have anything to do with ratings. You know HBO and show and stuff that that doesn't they do this but it just doesn't apply to it. You know what they're trying to do. So you know at least what I think. I mean heck there are, there are TV executives doing this, but you know just you're, you're depressed with on a Saturday night. You know eleven o'clock. Um, so you, know, you got that where it's, I can take those factors and say in that sense it's not horrible, but. For where boxing's at, where we need these signs of of more life and uh, the sport surviving and that kind of stuff, um, not quite what not quite what we would have wanted. We would have wanted, I would say, at least the ESPN rating before you add the plus in over a million for a fight this good. Um, and you know, I thought Tio maybe had built a na- enough of a name, and I'm not even like faulting him, but like it just. He wasn't quite there. Like, you know, I I thought he would be even at this point um, with this a fight this good. So I don't think then, like, you write him off or or say he's not – doesn't have value or something. But like you talked about before where he's talking about valuing him stuff. And Aram does say things like this, as we know. And then a lot of times the fighters get mad and they say you're devaluing him. But there's truth to it. Like, if if Aram is going to come back, which he has been doing this lately – and says something like, "You saw the rating, you know that's not a ten, you know that's not a ten million dollar rating," and he's not, he's not wrong about right. that. So, uh, you know, I want the fighters to make as much as possible. Don't get me wrong; I want them to make the money instead of promoters and TV. So let's make that clear. That's always my philosophy. But there has to be some realism with the market value, and I think it goes to some of what I've been saying on the out of the ring part, where like, you know. All promoters are doing this lately. You know, they're getting a little anxious. Like to me, this is a perfect example. Like, like let's just say I don't know what's going to happen there, but if if Tiafimo is going to have another top rank fight, I I don't mean I don't want him getting paid, but I mean like let's resist the temptation to go pay per view next. You know, this this didn't even hit a million in the traditional cable numbers. Let's wait another one. Right. You know, before we talk about that. Like, and if you just want to, it's really. Do a college football lead-in instead. Exactly. Like, do that in the fall. Then maybe if that hits, talk about a pay-per-view. But it's also credit, like, Shakur Stevenson is out drawing these other fighters, you know, especially when you look at his competition. Haney did all right on the regular rating, but it just didn't translate to pay-per-view. It was premature. I thought that beforehand, and it was. Like, Stevenson hasn't hit the pay-per-view yet, but his numbers are climbing. So, like, it is life too. Yes, exactly. If they can have patience with him, which you know they they're doing that so far. I mean, keep building that up. You know, he, he might be the next star like that because his numbers are going. You know, his numbers are going up. If he can get a few more ESPN appearances, like you said, a college football lead-in or something, you know, he 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 may go pay-per-view and draw numbers for one of these big fights. Um, you know, maybe if Haney goes back to it, you know, we don't know where he's going to fight. 
if he goes back with top rank, does something else, goes to Hearn or something. But we can we can say this from past history. If Haney goes to Hearn and fights pro-grade on the zone and tries to throw it on pay-per-view, I'm sorry, that's going nowhere. You know, that's going nope, nowhere. Nope. You know, might get it, maybe gets paid, but in the long game, you know, if you're really trying to build your name really big, it doesn't work. So um, there are decisions some based on that rating for that good of a fight. I'm glad they did it. I hope they do more. I say, don't say that's not the answer. Say, look, we got to stick with it right. a little longer. We got to get these guys built up better, like PBC was doing early. And they did and have they, the the finals going at the same time. Hockey that didn't draw a huge rating, but once again, you are having events that drew a little bit away from it. Yeah, and their and their ratings are up a little bit. Uh, NHL's ratings are up a little bit. Well, not they they were up a, down a little maybe from last year. Yeah, the like finals is general. down only because it's on cable instead of NBC. Right. You know, normal. Right, but in recent years, there's been a little – it's not massive, but there's kind of been a, more of a long-term trend up a little bit. Yeah, so it, it is there. Um, but, yeah, let's let's have some – you know, like, look, Spence and Crawford, I think, is going to do well pay-per-view. They've, they've both had enough other exposure. But now, you know, Spence has been on the pay-per-view for a while. But, again, he was one of the early PBC guys that got exposure. And that matters. And, you know, Crawford got – yeah. ESPN fights, whether some of them did as well as others or not, still he, he, he got them in. And this is more than other fighters. Now when they collide on pay-per-view, you know, I think you still got a, even in this climate, you got a chance at a good number. But some of these other guys that are getting close, um, like, you know, again, it depends if you're looking short or longer term. I think if the Haney team's looking longer term, they actually might want to think top rank and, like, let's get some regular TV exposure then go pay-per-view. Um, but I don't know. I'm not saying they're going to do that. Just something you might you might think about. Um, you know, and then we'll, we'll see. You know, you know PBC's now just with the regular showtime and, you know, pay-per-view. But the problem with the regular showtime is then you even go back old dynamics. I mean, that's 22 million or so subscribers, and they're going to be going in this transition to the Paramount thing. You know, it it's, it doesn't have the reach. You know, it, it it doesn't have the reach. You know, sure, it's got more reach than the zone, but it it doesn't have the reach of your basic cable, you know, type of stuff. And and that right. If they could, we talked about that a while back. If they could somehow in the future get on Paramount basic cable, right? Or maybe right. once in the summer, twice in the summer, get on CBS or something, but. You're right. right. I mean, we could say, well, they're going to be on Paramount. There's going to be more active users. That's true. But it's still not the same as what you're talking about. Right. And you make a good point, Chris. I mean, CBS, I would have given up hope. But even though it didn't do that great in the ratings, I think it was 972 or something like that. And CBS is the most watched network. But they threw Fedor on there, the Fedor Farewell. And, you know, that shows me they're, at least that they will, you know, because they seem overdue to do something like you just described. And they did it with that Bellator with Fedor. So I'm like, okay, come on, guys. You know, you, you did it with the Bellator. With... Let's, let's, let's do this, you know, let, let's do this with one of these PBC fights. Let's get some kind of deal worked out um, where some of these Showtime fights be on there. That would be big. I mean, that, that, that's what's needed. So um, that, that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the out of the ring part uh, there. But I thought, 
you know, the in the ring, and, you know, great, great performance by Lopez. You know, I, I, I thought he gave him a beating. I thought, I thought he embarrassed him. I, I, I thought it was that dominant uh, of a performance. I didn't think Taylor could do anything with him. And, uh, you know, just, just a great performance by Lopez. So going in the ring, great performance. And Tio's the one that's got to do it in the ring, but you do have to say a little bit, at least a little bit. I mean, so dad there who, you know, trained him from when he was a kid and, you know, he's back on his own. With him. You know, he gets he gets another big win here without anybody else in there with him. And so, I mean, a little part of it is what can you say? You know, what what can you say? They've obviously got some high capabilities, even working together themselves. You know, with that relationship. So, um, got to give credit where credit is due, right? I think so. There hasn't people don't want to give it, but I'm like, look, that's where even I got to look at it and say, hey, you know, I thought. You know the gamash with the Lomachenko was good, but but now you know there's no gamash there. It's just bad and son, and they just you know gave Taylor a beating. So um, yeah, he looked good. And, yeah. He fought yeah, he in the exact good. style that Lopez thrives in. Good, and his volume was like like you were saying. I think that was important for him. His volume was up. I mean, you know, his volume was up. So you know, he 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 outvolumed Taylor, but you know, by far. So. You know, he, he kind of at least – I mean, I, I haven't looked at his other fight numbers, but in, let's just say this because I've seen him fight enough. I mean, just naked eye, in, in terms of a effective higher volume, it was a great fight for him. You know, he was taking the lead and landing good shots, not not just waiting back to counter and um, stating it would be good performance. I mean, I thought – I thought late it looked like he was going to stop him. I mean, he didn't quite stop him, but I, but I thought he was damn. I thought he was damn close to stopping him. So, you know, yeah, yeah, he stunned I'm him several board. times. That's for sure. He hurt him with some body shots, stunned him. Um, you know, swallowing his face up. I mean, just a just a just a great performance. And another thing, I got to say it because I say it a lot, but you have to point it out because people forget it too easily. So. Moving up, moving from fighting about 140 for T.O. meant nothing. I mean, he gave him a beating. You know, he clearly beat Lomachenko. Right. It, it was, you know, that 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 played no role in the outcome of this fight. So people need to keep these in mind because they always go on the same narratives and they don't matter. You know, now if if Tiafimo Lopez was fighting Errol Spence, you know, that's always my rule. That then then tell me about weight classes. You know, he he was a lightweight. And he's fighting Harold Spence at welterweight or something. I'm going to go into that analysis then. I'm not going to do it when he goes up five pounds and fights Josh Taylor. It, it just doesn't – It just. it's just not meaningful enough. It doesn't matter. People, to me, who should know better get real deep in the weeds on that that are not there. It's a smokescreen. So, um, you know, it's it just another, you know, ev- evidence of that. So there was nothing about him moving up to 140 or anything like that. I think it was like you and I were saying, and in, in summing up now, really, on that one, we can go on to Darvai and Chaco and, and Mungi, or any thoughts, Chris, you have finally on, on Lopez-Taylor. Uh, but, you know, that, that wasn't a big factor. But I think it was he, was he was good after the first six rounds or so against Cambosos, whatever went wrong there. It wasn't the complete fight. And I thought, you know, Martin, a lot of people, you know, there's people that disagreed, but there were a lot of people with me on that that just thought the guy was basically in a survival mode. So a little too much read into that. And, and I think that then just people, Taylor's real good, but they got into overrating him a bit, you know, with that narrative about beating all the undefeated guys. You, you had to you had to look deeper into that. 
Yeah, real quick, what did you think of uh, Xander Zayas? I mean, the first few rounds, first half of the fight, he looked good, but didn't look as good in the second half. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I like Zayas, but I think you and I have, have been on the same page there. He, you know, he's still very young. I'm not going to write him off or anything, but too many of his, too many of his recent performances just looked leveled off. You know, um, you, you're not seeing anything better from him. Um, you're, you're not seeing a devastating early KO or something. I mean, I mean, you know, he's he's really young, but these guys he's fighting aren't that good. I mean, let, let's let's be real here. Yeah, he had the guy down top, early too. Right, he's getting this top ranked spot for marketing, like they've been doing with with different fighters they like. And I get it, you know, lead in, get the public to know these guys who they think are their best prospects, but hasn't been the best opposition, and, and his performances have leveled off. Um, you know, I, I need something that's the guy, but I kind of need something that's going to get me more excited. Uh, too many of these performances in a row that that just to me have not been real, real inspiring, real throwing against you know, not particularly descript opposition. So I haven't liked haven't liked the way he's been trending lately. Too young, too much talent to write off. But I he he, he needs a he needs a more noteworthy performance than the ones he's been given lately. And then um so it was one fifty eight to eighty two as far as punches landed in favor of Lopez. He threw five seventeen and overall he, he landed over 30% of his punches. So that is a, that is a big deal. Now, real quick about uh, Taylor, you know, 147 is going to look a lot different, um, you know, in the coming future here. Obviously, what is that, July 9th or whatever, where we have, you know, those two big fights on the same night as far as the up-and-coming guys. How do you see, you know, because t- t- – more than likely at some point, unless he gets the rematch, Taylor's probably going to go up. And he said that, you know, I had a good camp. I, I, I thought I made the weight as good as I can. How do you see him against these young guns who, if you want to get on the in, inside and bang with, you know, Stan Onius, Tease, and some of these guys, that's not necessarily the best path. How do you think he'll – now he'll feel better weight-wise, sure, but what, what's your gut telling you about him at 147? even if it's not Butter Spence anymore, you know? Yeah, well, well let's, and again, same rule applies there. You know, he's been at 140 for a long time. I, I don't think the weight move to 147 means that much for him as people think, but I think what matters is even though people talk a lot about 140-pound guys lately and stuff, the overall depth of the welterweight division and then what you got on top is, is just, you know, to me, I've been saying it for – you know, years, I still think top to bottom, it's the most talented division in boxing. So, yeah, I think that's where he's got a problem. And that's, you know, again, people get into the weight part. It's, 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 he's, it's Taylor's got some talent, even after getting dominated by Lopez, he's still got some talent, but that division's so deep. It's, it's, you know, it's a different, it's a different story. So yeah, you know, he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't match up well against guys with the talent of Spence and Crawford. And, you know, again, look at these guys we got there. This is all theoretical because of promotional stuff. But, you know, Boots, Ennis, I, I mean, you know, he, he's, he, he doesn't match up just because those guys are that good. He doesn't match up that well against those guys. And, and then, like you point out, two other good guys like Sononis and Virgil Ortiz, 
again, not because Taylor's bad or bad as a welterweight at 147, but just because of how good these other guys are. He probably doesn't match up that good against those guys either. Uh, because, yeah, and you know, fresh, Stanos, too. Young, fresh, yeah, ready to go. Too much volume for him. I, I could take that as a theoretical style matchup right there and tell you Stanonis is going to outvolume. Taylor's not going to work hard enough against a guy like Stanonis. So, you know, you know Stanionis. So he, he's, he's got, you know, so then, like, you start thinking, well, well even, like, promotional-wise, who, who, you know, I saw somebody, like, I was kind of laughing just because it doesn't mean anything, like, Okay, somebody said David Avenesian. Yeah, sure, and, and Taylor beats him, but what does that, you know, so what? You know, so that, you know, I, I like, he doesn't, again, don't, don't give me the old, he's got to get accustomed to the weight and this nonsense. That's, that's not going to be the determinative factor, just moving up seven pounds. So, you know, he doesn't, you know, sure, he, he beats a David Avenesian, but, but what's that really going to mean? Now, you know what would be, but again, he might he'd probably have trouble with volume in that fight. Like again, it's just theoretical because you know PBC's got all these welterweight guys. But like you know, Cody Crowley probably outvolumes him. You know, just you know, he, Crowley just throws too many punches for a guy like Taylor. And Taylor's got some pop, but because he, he's dropped guys, but he hasn't stopped guys when he's moved up in, in class. That's another problem he's got. You know. His only recent stoppage against that Kong Song guy that didn't even belong in there. You know, people haven't looked at that. You know, so he's, there's pop. He's knocking people down. If he didn't have any pop, he wouldn't drop them, to his credit. But he's not stopping anybody. So he's not going to be stopping these guys at 147. And then the problem he's got is, like, you know, some of these guys were describing their high volume. You know, like Stanionis, Cody Crowley. Again, theoretical, it's promotional stuff. But it, it gets the idea how he stacks up. So... You know, I don't, I don't know who else like your know, top rank could could find for him to fight and try to try to make it meaningful. Um, you know, that's going to be that's going to be a bit of a problem. You know, they they don't have. You know, that was rumored and it, it would have fit when they had them both when this time came to pass. But they they don't have Crawford anymore. So I'm not saying he I'm not saying he could handle Crawford, but I'm just saying they could make the fight and sell it. You know, um, so. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I don't know who they're gonna have. I don't know who they're gonna have him fight. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting, man. It's definitely gonna be interesting. Let's move on to the zone main event: Munguia and uh, Darabayanchenko. Hell of a fight. You gotta feel for him coming up short again. But uh, break down what you thought of that fight because it was back and forth and all over the place. Um, and obviously had some drama down the stretch as well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, sometimes these stories get exaggerated, but in Barry Vianchenko's case, it's not exaggerated. I mean, I thought he could have gotten the decision against Golovkin. He went down early. You know, that, that cost him, but I still think he could have gotten the decision. I thought really he, he did the better stuff the rest of the fight in that one. Um, I thought he, I thought – this brawl Saturday night, he could have gotten the decision, even getting dropped late. Uh, I, I still thought I still thought he did enough to win the fight. Um, wild fight going back and forth. One thing I'll say in Munguia's favor, not if you want to call it favor, even with all that reeling, and, and you know, obviously he was clearly losing these rounds, but I'm I'm not sure he was quite as close to going as it looked, and I think. 
you know, Darabinchenko did do the right thing, and and you know, he he had a stellar amateur career. You know, even though he doesn't have that many pro fights, he also was in the World Series of Boxing. He had fights in that, and uh, you know, he he's been in tough a lot as a pro already. Really against the best, so a lot of experience there. I think he made the right calculated risk, but I think he was a smart enough fighter to know when he hurt Mungi a couple times early, not sure how bad, that he thought, hey, you know, I'm 37, I'm, I'm the underdog here, I'm the B-side, I, I'm going to go for the stoppage. Like, he, he, knew, he knew he was at risk of punching himself out, um, but he went for it. And I, I still think it was the right move, I gave him credit. So, you know, the ref was looking in. I, I think Mungi was hurt. But I'm I'm not sure he was quite as hurt as maybe the commentators were saying, and like he was going to go any second. But you know he he was not doing enough and getting tagged. That you know he had the ref looking in, and that was exciting. I think Darvinchenko made the right move. But I was thinking at that time, if he doesn't get him out of here, he's going to have some problems late. And I I think that's what happened in the fight. I mean I think Darvinchenko was, even though he was hurt a couple times early as well, quite badly. He he was had a lot of heart. He was determined. He knew I got to throw back on this guy. And he, he stung him back a few times and got himself out of trouble. I think outside of those moments though, you know, he, he was winning the fight. I thought clearly as you got to the last few rounds. And then I think that was the effects of he's older, but I think it was more that volume he threw trying to get him out of there that, you know, he got, he got then past the 10th round. The gas tank was on eight and uh, you know, he clearly got dominated over the last few rounds, getting dropped, and, and he was on the verge of getting stopped legitimately. But I thought he still did enough to win the fight. Um, you know, obviously close fight. I mean, I, I wouldn't call it a robbery, but I did think Darvinchenko won the fight. I don't know, Chris, what did you think of the scoring of that one? Yeah, I I, I was um... – if I had to pick a winner, um, you know, as far as rounds, uh, well, that's kind of a dumb way to say because yeah, that's what you do, Chris. But um, but yeah, I, I, I if I was gonna go seven to five, it definitely would be for him. Um, you know, six six, okay, uh, maybe six five one for uh, you know, Darvinchenko. Um, but yeah, I, I thought I thought he won. I mean, it, it does suck how it ended. Um, getting knocked down or whatever, but like you said, if uh, if Dev was that hurt, then we'd have to say Munguia <laughs> a couple times was really hurt then too, you know. So right. which which one right. is it? Just because he wasn't on the ground? I mean, from pretty early in that fight, I mean, he was on the ropes. He was, you know, don't get me wrong, both of them were wobbled. At, at, I mean, Darabinjenko in the second round got wobbled. Um, but, but then, you know, he, he managed to flurry back, settle down, and fire back. But um, I just thought it was a great, great fight. And yeah, I would definitely give more rounds to uh, Darabinjenko. I think that I think he did win the fight, and there's nothing wrong with a, a seven to five or you know whatever six six. Okay, you know, and in the knockdown, sure. But other than that, um, I did have him winning the fight. Um, what did we have? One fifteen, one twelve. 114, 113, and 114, 113, correct? Yeah. So. You saw my... Yeah, I, I would say, too, that you know, we had the analysis right there that Darabai and Shanko had more left than he was. 
being given credit for that Munguia might win it in the end. And I, I did feel like my analysis was right on that one. I thought the key on that one that some people were missing is, look, when Derevyanchenko was going in to fight Adamas, I thought surely that was a fight that Derevyanchenko would win. But Adamas pulled out a great performance, and then he followed it up after that. So, in other words, this was not the Adamas of a few years ago or who we thought he might have been. You know, he was with uh, Santos and Salas, and uh, he really, he really learned. You know, it, it, he, he followed it up where it proved to be for real. So, I then looked back and said, you can't say now that Derevyanchenko's done because of that fight because of the way Adamas looked in that fight and then after that. And that ended up being the case. Because, you know, you could see Derevyanchenko's skill was still there. And this was a high-paced fight. You know, look, he faded in the last two, but he's a 37-year-old guy. And this was a brutally-paced fight. This was not some slow-paced chess match. So um, he showed a lot left. Um, It doesn't mean he'll have it after this war, but, I mean, he did in this fight. You could see the skill. One thing he caught on to early, even though – you know, he, he's, a, he's a shorter guy. You know, he saw that he could catch Munguia with, with the right hand, a straight right hand. He kept nailing him with it. And another thing that was correct in the analysis, I, I'd said that, you know, don't make much of the 168 in this one. Again, just because it, it's an alphabet-created class, you know, so, yeah, they're a few pounds above middleweight. But also, as I said, because – Derevyanchenko had had a lot of fights at that weight earlier in his career, so it wasn't going to be the big deal that some people made that out to be, and they're still after the fight, so um, didn't turn out to be. I mean, I, I, again, don't think it came down to that, but, you know, I, I've said this a lot of times, and I, I saw it again some Saturday night. I mean, even though he maybe arguably made some improvements in some area, Munguia the boxer doesn't work. <laughs> you know, it's not his game. It's not his strength. You know, really, when he's wailing away, opening up late, I mean, that's when he dropped him. Now, of course, Derevyanchenko was tired, but, but again, still. I mean, that's that's Munguia's strengths. I mean, you know, he, even as he moves up in weight, he, he's a you know he's a tall guy. Um, he's strong. He's got some power. So those are those attributes carry for him as strengths. But you know, him him as boxer that you know he's going to work behind a jet. He, he's just not good enough at it. It doesn't work. Uh, you know, he, he's got to be an all or nothing type guy. I mean, I think that's, that's his strength. Um, and I, I just think just trying to refine him, it, it's a, it's a road to nowhere. So we've seen that too many times with him already. So I'm not going to write him completely off like some other people, even as much trouble as he had. And I'm guessing he'll end up fighting at 168, but he, he's going to have to be the aggressive brawling power puncher it's not it's not going to make it with him as a boxer i i am convinced of that so he can look a little bit better but it's it's just not what he is and i think i think it's time to abandon that part of the experiment now i know boxing again the toughest sport you don't want to take the damage and stuff but you know maybe it's got to be where where he gets into some of the bigger fights soon and then you know you get out you know that that type of thing but him him as boxer yeah, he's going to end up getting beat up anyway as a boxer uh, because he's not good enough. Yeah, he's still so. getting hit a lot anyway. So. <laughs> right, that's the thing. I Either mean, way. He's still, getting nailed. he's still getting nailed left and right. So, you know, you know standing straight up and, and not being good enough at it. So, what's, yeah, in the end, what's it really matter? He might as well, he better, he might as well get his bombs out there and, and see yeah. if the other guy can take them. He might have a shorter night. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I think that the Mungia boxer experiment probably needs to come to a close. Um, and I, I still say, too, on the out-of-the-ring part of that fight, where Oscar's probably shooting himself in the foot, but it's because Golden Boy needs that to zone money. I mean, that was the Canelo controversy is, you know, I think he really, again, I still believe it. I think he's trying to hang on and, and think he can develop into a Canelo box office type attraction on, you know, TV and in the arena, but he's on the zone in the U.S. You know, he's not, you know, Oscar Golden Boy, you know, he's just not being seen by enough people. You're, you know, and he's drawn at the arena, but again, the arena doesn't do it in 2023. You know, it's got to be the TV part too. And that's just the zone. Like, you know, they threw around the money, but yeah, they're throwing around the money, but people aren't seeing it. So, you know, the strategy, I think it is their strategy of waiting him to be a Canelo, waiting for him to be a Canelo. Canelo was on HBO, 40 million subscribers, and show, you know, 2 million subscribers, 25 maybe at that time. Um, Munguia is, you know, he hasn't been on HBO, you know, HBO's out of boxing, you know. So the last time he was on HBO is when they were still in boxing. So, you know, I mean, these, these the zone appearances aren't aren't doing it. So, and that could kind of what you're also talking about, Chris, is, you know, Canelo, like if he's going to, you know, fight Badu Jack on his own or something, I mean, again, I, I say every, a lot of these fights that he's doing, I'll say it again with this one. I mean, you know, in terms of U.S., you know, Canelo's spending a lot of time there. He's got to decide, I think, you know, what's he want. Well, maybe he has decided. Like, he seems to take these paths in the U.S. Right. That, that don't lead to enough exposure. You know, who he fights what platform he fights on. The only exception has been the plant fight, which did well. So, but that's it. You know, the others haven't, and, and I think it's hurting him. You know, it, it's a cumulative effect, but, you know, he gets his Mexican TV numbers, but, you know, how big has the U.S. interest been recently compared to, you know, what it might have been a few years ago? You know, I, I think it's cumulatively taking its toll, and I don't think this Badu Jack thing is going to help. Yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah. Any, any other items? Anything to do with the Hall of Fame class or the Showbox or, or any other uh, items you'd like to talk about? I did catch some of the Showbox. Was a pretty interesting card. I, I, I like the light heavyweight division. I've always thought it's overrated with the common. Uh, excuse me, underrated with the combination of power and volume that leads to action. So I, I, I like that idea of having a, a light heavyweight triple header. Um, Nothing too notable came out of it, but uh, I like that idea. I like the – it's an out-of-the-ring thing, but it's worth mentioning because I think it's a good thing. I mean, you know, you, you go to that early 80s glory days of boxing on regular TV especially, and, you know, Tim Ryan, the CBS announcer, was a big part of that, and he got in. You know, he teamed with Gil Clancy, really one of the legendary teams. So I thought that was a good inclusion. You know, that's out of the ring. But uh, contributor, you know, broadcaster. But uh, I, I thought that was I thought that was good to see. You know, with, with some of with the fighters, you know, for me, it'd be getting controversial in terms of. I can see, you know, what some people like about some of their careers, but I think some of these fighters, if you, if you break down historically, not just overrating older fighters, but I mean, really breaking down what the accomplishments are. You know, I don't know if some of them stack up, but then again. You know, with Hall of Fames, there is always a good argument. You got to kind of put the best guys of whatever era in there, you know. Um, and you know, like 
So, you know, I, I, I for, for me, it's kind of more of that, but, but you get a lot of that. But I mean, I think there's, I always say it, there, I think there's a good, good that there's a hall of fame, but in the boxing hall of fame, I'm, I'm personally kind of more like a historian where I, I don't like to get into the, I know that's history, but I don't like boxing hall of fame. I'm glad they have one and it's good for the sport, but who's in and who's not, I'm, I'm not, when it comes to the Boxing Hall of Fame, I, I've kind of strayed out of those debates the more the years have gone on. Yeah, no, that that's definitely fair, and I definitely—I was just looking at my scorecard. I, I couldn't give more than six rounds, and I have like two question mark rounds, and so we go back to swinging one for each one, and yeah, I, I really can't find find that uh, that fifteen to to 112, you know, so that's seven to five. I can't find seven rounds for, uh, yeah, you know, he did did get the knock, but you know, you make a good point. Derevinchenko was, you know, really hurting him in in those early rounds and dominant. Um, yeah, you know, do you give him 10, you know, do you give him 10 eights? I mean, you know, there's going to have to probably keep saying it, but there's either going to have to be to get better cards, keep saying it, but I think it's true. There's either going to have to be more even rounds where that would be, frankly, in, in, a, in a fight like Taylor Lopez, like in those first three, like, you know, you're not giving Taylor those rounds, maybe they're 10-10s, and then that reflects more how the fight went. You know, if then you're giving Lopez straight out all those other rounds, except for the one he took off. Um, or more liberal use of the 10-point must, like, you know, when, when Derevinchenko's hurting and he uh, – he certainly gets a 10-8 instead of, like, again, like you and I have said, Chris, it's, it becomes unfair when Derevyanchenko has a, a round like that and it's a 10-9, and then you have one of those rounds where there's not much to choose from and somebody gives Munguia a 10-9, you know. Is that, it's not the same thing, you know, those two rounds. So, um, and then, right. then maybe you have it where there's a knockdown, a, a devastating knockdown at the 10-7 or something like that. But, but again – Frankly, even some of these real flash knockdowns where you, you can barely tell if it's a knockdown or not, you know, should that be the same 10-8 as a guy getting knocked flat on his back who takes a nine count and then gets up? Not really. Um, so th- these are areas where it might help some. But, you know, the way it stands now, the way we've kind of fallen into scoring fights, you and I have been talking about that, this, like, everything's a 10-9, you're not giving even rounds, and then if a guy gets knocked down, no matter how the knockdown is, it's a 10-8. But if, unless there's a something called a knockdown, it's not a 10-8. We, we're not talking about that a lot, leading to a lot of these crazy scorecards, if you really break it down. Yeah, so too many. True. Yeah, too many, like you said, rounds where there's a question mark, where then people are forcing themselves to give it one fire or the other 10-9, and then that's counting the same as somebody who has a dominant round, you know, even has somebody in trouble. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. So th- th- these are areas. And we're not official you, judges, though. So we actually don't. We can do a nine nine technically, you know, because we don't have to turn anything in. You know, I, I understand yeah, I mean, like sticking by that ten to nine thing because that's the the rule, of, you know, that you're supposed to go by. But yeah, I, I think that uh, it just would, would be more fair and. You know, six six with the knockdown. Okay, that's the that's the only really path I can see uh, for victory for him. You know, is a is a draw, and then like you said, the knockdown. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think in that particular fight, you you you're being pretty. I mean, he definitely took the last two. Got to be fair there, but you know, given 
And he did have a, a dominant early round, but still getting the six for Munguia in that fight was pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, uh, you uh, have yourself a good night and uh, take it easy. Enjoy. You know, this week's really like stay on course, get to the next fight, Regis Progray and Tim Zhu, you know? <laughs> like just get there. Just get right. there. Um, Aleem and Goodman I am excited about on the, the co-feature. Um to the uh, the Tim Zoo card for El Capo. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, that that that's one I that's one. Is it uh, Emmanuel Leem's coming back? I think oh it's yeah, Sam, I'm, I'm into. It's I'm Sam I'm I'm, I'm there for every. I'm there for every fight he has. So that yep. guy gives everything he's got. He's been in a lot of great 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 fights. Uh, underrated in that sense. Now you want to talk about a a guy that's given everything he's got who really deserves something you know, out of the sport at this point, it would be that guy. So uh, I, I like him, you know, just for that alone. So, yeah, I'm there for that. But, frankly, the main events like Pro Gray and, yeah. and Tim Zhu, I, I, I don't think those are great fights. So I'm, I'm glad I was not aware Aline was on there, and he's one of my favorites for those reasons. So, yeah, I, I'm definitely there for that. There you have it. All right, you have, a, you have a good night. Enjoy your week, and we'll be back next week. All right, Chris, thanks for having me as always. All right, take it easy. Take care. All righty. And just kind of breaking down my round by round in that, I did give uh, Darabinchenko the first and third. Um, Yeah, first and third. I mean, he, he came right out, landed flush left hands and a big right hand. He stumbled Muguia, uh, had him on the ropes. Like I said, don't get me wrong, he, did appear to wobble. Um, that's the thing, and I'm talking about Mungia. I think it was a left hook that wobbled him, and then he flirted after that by Mungia. He wobbled uh, Darabinchenko. And sometimes he's got this, he's kind of off balance, you know? So sometimes he's not getting hurt as much as you think, but that could play into the judges' uh, you know, scorecards. So let's let's say okay, I gave him the fourth because he landed better shots than he had. So you're you're at like two two. I definitely gave the fifth round um, to uh, Darabinchenko. Uh, Mugia had a, a jab and a right hand, but a big left hook in exchanges. Once again, another round where he appeared to hurt him, just unloading big shot after big shot. Definitely hurt Mugia. Now that I thought. The back and forth was a close round in six. You know, um, Mugia landed some really nice shots, big shots late, but early and mid, I had uh, Darabinchenko. So that's one, that's the first round for me where I'm like, I'm not sure who won that round. Um, I did give the seventh to uh, Mugia, but then again, because he landed some really nice uh right hooks, right hands in general with the jab, but, you know, Sergey rallied at late in that round. So it wasn't like it was just, got, you know, some kind of easy round to score per se. The eighth was a great round. I leaned to, to Dev on that one, or, or Derevinchenko. I definitely uh, leaned to him on that one, but it was close. Um, and he almost went down. That was the one where – he almost went down. Now he got back up, you know, got up close to him, landing that 
at, at range too, but he did get knocked. You know, he didn't touch the canvas, but that's where he did almost go down. Um, so if you want to give him that one, okay, sure. Um, and I'm talking about, uh, you know, Munguia there. Um, definitely the ninth round, I thought um, Darvinchenko won that one. Um, to me, you know, the up jab started really coming into play. He was, you know, showing some movement, pot-shotting on the move. Um, tenth round, very close. Do I give another very close round to Munguia? Uh, you know, overall, did he land the best shots? Possibly. Close pretty strong, had a good start. Um, I don't know. You could say overall, though, you know, Derevichenko was, was busier. Um, definitely the last two rounds. You know, I, I think that's a for sure. Short hooks, right uppercuts. And it was the left hook to the body that knocked him down like 60, 50, 60 seconds into that round. Um, the announcer, though, like here we, you know, not I'm not talking about the broadcasters. I'm talking about the announcer. And he said, you know, some of the best 12 rounds of the year. Okay, that's cool. I do think it's one of the most uh, entertaining fights of the year. But he said, one of the best fights in the history of boxing. It's like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Um, so, like I said, I, I, I could go 6-6. Six, six, you know, I think I could go 6-6. Six, six. One, two, three, four, five. And then give him one of those swings. So, yeah, I mean, maybe he did. But, like I said, that that's not really swinging the rounds. I, I just kind of give you the example of, like, well... Is that really doing the trick? You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I, I thought uh, I thought I thought Sergey won the fight. Um, and then saw a little bit. Oh, Shane Mosley Jr. won, knocked out Ballard. Uh, Ricardo Rafael Sandol. What is Sand Sandola? What is it? Sandolo? I think it's Sandola. He won. He Roko Roko Rocky Rocky Roko. Whoever he. I forgot. Juarez uh, lost, though. Um, I think it was Flores that beat him, if I remember correctly. Um, also, uh, Manuel Flores, um, early in the uh, – was that fr- was that Friday or was that Thursday? He took an L. He took an L um, to Walter Santa Beans, Santa Bans or whatever. That was a – I mean, he clearly won that fight, too, man. That was a, you know, pretty pretty nice size upset, if you ask me. Um, oh, and then Sonny Edwards, uh, you know, um, first half looked pretty good, you know. Um, looked all right. Um, I thought he was kind of, you know, he was elusive. He was faster than Campos. Um, you know, he had Campos swinging at air especially in the first half of the fight. Um, and then, what was that, the round seven? I think it was round seven. Um, I mean, he was, dude was, you know, he was on Sonny. So, pause. He, you know, and, and he made Sonny, you know, get on the move, get on his bicycle and whatnot. Uh, but overall, you know, Edwards did enough by a whole lot. He definitely landed 
on some good clean shots. He had combinations where he would kind of flurry, especially when he had him on the ropes and whatnot. Um, but like I said, Campos just he showed he was a pretty tough guy uh, in my mind. Now you look at uh, Derevchenko anyway, 0-4 in his big fights. Um, and people were bringing up uh, Ruben Castillo and um, Sanchez. Or, I mean, a couple different fighters where you're just like, man. Oh, here, someone sent this to me. Michael Coppinger, Teofima Lopez, sources tell ESPN, made approximately $2.3 million for that fight, um, which is, now do we know that for a fact? I don't know. But I did think overall Sonny kind of, I don't know, he kind of kind of fell off. I don't know if he was gassing a little bit. Didn't look all that great down the stretch. Um, but hopefully Bam Rodriguez next. And by the way, Jermaine, uh, Jermaine Ortiz, like, he said he got this back injury. I'm looking at a Broadway Joel. Shouts out to him. Ortiz claims he had a back injury a few weeks, uh, a few weeks ago. Basically, it interrupted his camp. And it's like, well, why don't you tell somebody that? You know what I mean? Like, why don't you tell somebody? Um, and then someone sent me this about Taylor. I'm not making a fucking excuses. This and that. Prepared very well in sparring. Went through two, three sparring partners. I felt I did the weight well. I felt the diet well and the weight cut well. Um, so I, you know, take it for whatever it's worth. You know, I really, I don't know what to tell you on that one. Um, let's see, the Showbox card. Uh, so, yeah, Sonny, Sonny, you know, like I said, there wasn't much there for, for Sonny. Oh, Broner, you know, it was nice to see, like I said earlier, to get, you know, he got shaped uh, enough to where he took this dude out, this lawyer dude. I did like how he was kind of on his old school game where he was talking about, I'm going to beat the shit out of you and then I'm going to need you in court to represent me, you know, and shit like that. That was pretty funny. That's, you know, well, who knows? Maybe Mayweather. I was on a space today, and we were talking about Broner and Mayweather. Why not, you know? Speaking of Mayweather, he took on Gotti, the, the Gotti, was it the Gotti third or whatever, and, you know, the mayhem that ensued after the DQ, just, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really give a shit, to be honest with you. Um... But Clay Waterman in, what was it, Evans, Kenmon Evans? Evans had a really good start to that, that fight. Uh, he came out moving really well, jabbing really well. Um, and then pretty much after that, Clay took over. He um, started to really put his punches together, um, had left hooks, uh, hard combinations, like I said. Big overhand rights, these leaping right hands, left hooks. More short shots on the inside. Then, like I said, the leaping left hook. Had him on the ropes numerous times. Evans did start out really well with that jab and whatnot, but it didn't. It just didn't last, a, you know, a whole lot, I guess you could say. Um, he basically, you know, pretty cleanly lost that fight. Um, what was the scorecard? Let me check my yeah, I don't know if I – two of them, 78, 74, 177, 75, um, you know, maybe down the – the last two rounds, 
you know, Evans had success. Maybe he won, you know, one of the, that eighth round or whatever, and that, that you give it five to three or whatever. I think that's uh, – I think that would be fair, but he definitely lost the fight. And then we had the uh, Juan Carlos uh, Correo, Correo against uh, Van Sinklen. And this was a fun fight. Um, Correo came out and won – let me look at my scorecard. The first three rounds for sure, um, you know, he had a really stiff jab. Uh, and, and landing the left hand, whether it's a left hook or, or whatnot, he was definitely doing his thing. Just the more quality shots, uh, the left hook or the left uppercut. Um, doubling, you know, his jab. He threw a, in the third round, uh, maybe like 30 seconds into it, a double right hand knocked him down, got back on his steady jab. There was some, some two-way stuff in that last minute or so. Uh, some late lands by Van Sinklin, I think it is Van Sinklin, battle of unbeatens, but then I thought he did pretty good. Um, You could see, you know, Carrillo was actually like turning up on the heat on him right off the bat, landed flush combos, but uh, Van Sinklin fired back with a looping left hand and it froze. I'm talking froze uh, Juan Carlos. And, and and he followed him up, and it was like he was trying to stay up, but he just – it was like a, a, somebody could have yelled timber. It was like, you know, someone was taking – Anthony Joshua was out there. Babe was out there, uh, you know, basically chopping down the tree, and he, and he just fell down. Now he got up, and actually I gave him the next round. It was a two-way round, but I thought he landed the better shots. But then Van Sicklin – to me, really, you know, started to like sixth and seventh, he really was finding his groove. I mean, he started, the eighth was close. Eighth was definitely close. Um, and I did think you could have maybe gave that to uh, Correo. Um, but I definitely gave him the, the ninth. And then I, I, I closed with Van Sink, uh, Richard uh, Van Sinklin winning the, uh, the tenth. So I had it either a draw or, uh, you know, Correo um, winning it 6-4. It was a tight fight. Um, one had it 94-94 and then 95-93. Um, so it, it was a, one of those fights, I guess you could say, that could have went either way. Um, as far as the main event goes, we had Foster and um, Ismailov. Ismailov, I think. It is is Ismailov Ali Ismailov. Um, I did give him the first two rounds. Um, he was, you know, the right hand of the body. I think was a big, big thing. Some left hands, but the the right hand of the body definitely. Um, and then I thought Foster uh, won the third round with better shots. Uh, the fourth round could have went either way. I thought some of the body work along with the jab. And then late in that fifth round, um, Ali knocked Foster down, I think with a, a right hand, right near the bell. Um, actually, was it right at the bell? Something like that. So that was a 10-8 round. But I thought Foster got up, and even though it was you know good back and forth in the sixth round, I gave him the sixth round. Um, the seventh round, though, 
in the eighth round, the right hands to the body, in some to the head by Ali. I thought I thought that did it for him. And then um, I actually gave, what, the ninth round to Foster, his jab and left hand. The tenth was a fun, fun round. So is Maylov, is that how you said it? Is my love? Is he my love? Is he my love? Okay, that, that was weird. Pause. Six to four, I had it. 95-94 and then 96-93 for the two other cards. So um, a very good good showbox, I thought. A very good showbox. Um, I think I do see Aleem, you know, winning uh, this weekend. I definitely think that. Um, and like I said, just for Tim Zhu and – um, Regis, man, just just get your shit done. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be anything fancy. You don't have to show us all that you're the best. Um, but just just get it done. Just get these over the hump. And by the way, that once um, once John on the East Coast or anybody else on the East Coast <laughs> finds out about what time this card's gonna be, it's it's gonna be late. It's gonna be late. It's in Australia, so it's going to be late. I believe the Pro Gray uh, card starts earlier. Actually, let me get that start time real quick. Um, so, Pro Gray one starts at 6 o'clock Central, so that's 7 o'clock. So, that's, you're definitely in good hands there. But, oh, it says, wait a second. Does it say 8 o'clock here? Maybe I'm wrong. Huh. It says 8 o'clock here. I, I could have sworn that my... Maybe I recorded the wrong one. Maybe I recorded the replay. But it should have already been recorded. Sorry. I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I don't know. But it's a good. It's like two top 10 122-pounders. Rashidi, or Raiz, sorry, Rashidi. Raiz Aline against uh, Sam Goodman. Both of them unbeaten. 20-0 Aline, and I think it's like 14-0 or... 13 and 0 or something like that, but um, you know neither of them have these great names on their resume. Goodman, you know, before his last fight, um, you could say was fairly green, um, but he did beat that TJ Donnie, Donnie or Donnie, TJ Doheny or whatever the hell that dude's name is. Um, that guy's never been stopped. He, um, you know, he, he beat him cleanly too. That fight wasn't close at all. Obviously, uh, you know, I think that TJ beat um, Cesar Juarez, I believe. But, he, had, you know, he had lost to Roman and Conlin. And, um, even that, there was another one he lost in there, too. So that's a good win. I do I do favor Aleem in this one. Um, you know, he, he's been out since September, which isn't crazy, I guess. Um you know, he, he definitely shined uh, against Adam Lopez, uh, Aleem did. That was one that got a lot of attention. And also that uh, Vic Payat, or was it Paisias or whatever, Pais? I can't remember, but that was the guy that has such that great, you know, amateur resume and kind of looked the part as a pro there for a second because he had that, uh, I don't know, almost like a two-and-a-half-year break in his career 
um, you know, due to outside the stuff that I don't think he spots sense. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, the uh, Plania, Baez, these were good wins. Now, the Eduardo Baez was a very close fight, um, and that was coming off some really good performances. So, um, you know, I, I thought he looked, you know, he had, is it Plania? He had him down early, like second round, third round, something like that, and he cleanly won that fight, his last fight. So I think he will win here. I think that he's just got to, you know, he's just got to fight a little bit more, not tentative, okay, <laughs> but he's he's got to, this dude's probably going to get on, try to get on the inside at some point. Um, not a big puncher. Neither of these guys are big punchers, but I think he'll win by decision. I wouldn't be surprised if Goodman went down or, or something like that, but I, I think it's a really good fight. Um, so yeah, it, it can it can definitely go either way on that one. Um, but I, I like Aleem in that one. Um, now he, he, I think he got there last week, and uh, oh boy, he is from Australia, so we definitely gotta you know keep an eye on that one. We definitely gotta keep an eye on that one. And then Adam Azim, the uh, hot prospect uh, from the UK, he's fighting. Um, you know, I, I don't think he'll have any problems with his opponent. But that is Friday on uh, Sky Sports. So, um, so something to think about. Also, Sanchez and Gonzalez. That's going to be on. That's tomorrow. Probox DD. That's what I almost forgot about that. Um, Gonzalez is definitely a guy that has some pop. I think I think he, he has as many – it's either like 24 or 25 wins. He has many wins. He has knockout. Sanchez uh, is a quality fighter too. Um, I, I like this fight. I think that will be an interesting one, um, and that's tomorrow on Pro Box TV. Mid-level fights, prospects, type of stuff, um, and I think they've been doing a pretty good job on that, actually. So, um, and it's you know super cheap. It's definitely a super cheap you know card. It's not it's not crazy. So, um, so yeah. I um, what else do we have? I think that's it. So obviously the pro grades on the zone. Tim Zeus on Showtime. Um, all right, so. Let's see. Okay, let's get into some, obviously, some news, right? Um, oh, by the way, so Rafael Marquez, I do want to talk about the the big three, I guess you could say, as far as, you know, male boxers. Rafael Marquez, um, you know, obviously, the, the Israel Vasquez, you know, well, it wasn't even a trilogy, it was a you know, four fights actually. Um, won the first fight, you know, lost the second one. His eye all messed up. Vasquez had that both well, Vasquez's eye was all messed up, I should say. Well, both of them were pretty messed up, right? Because it was a freaking war. But I remember working that night of the third fight at a bar, and a, a couple of the people that I worked with, and then other people I knew, we all met up. We, we recorded it. We all met up, maybe 10 of us, and watched that fight. And that was, oh, man, that was great. And, and to score, you know, to, <laughs> to score that time.
timely, you know. Um, I mean, he was on him. He needed that round, went nuts, uh, Vasquez did. But, you know, he did get him back, two, you know, two fights later. Um, I actually saw him. I saw him. Well, I mean, that was later. Well, yeah, I mean, it was later in his career. Um, he had those two fights with uh, Mambuza. But even, you know, well before that, that Tim Austin. I remember Bernstein kind of choking up talking about, uh, you know, to, to folks there because he goes way back. But the Tim Austin fight, that that was – and then Mark Johnson, obviously, um, you know, he's, he's got a lot of uh, quality wins. But I actually saw a fight later in his career against uh, Nishio- Nishioka. Um, that was at the ballroom. Uh, yeah, the Marquee Grand – I don't even know if they call it the, the Grand – marquee ballroom anymore but that that was that was uh you know he, i think uh oh boy went on the fight no nito after that actually he was on the uh brandon rios uh i think it was on that card was that the co-feature with donair i think it was if i remember correctly yeah the mike alvarado and they went to freaking war and it was a calmer fight than Dornier caught Nishioka. But, you know, hell of a fighter there, no doubt. Uh, you know, I was a big fan of him. Definitely a big fan of uh, his brother, Juan Manuel Marquez, too. But shots out to him. And then, obviously, Timothy Bradley Jr. I mean, once he got on the scene, he could probably, you know, uh, start with Miguel Vasquez, Jr. Witter. That's, you know. Went on the road, got the job done. Ender Cherry, solid vet. Kendall Holt, that was a fun-ass fight to watch. You know, that's kind of a recurring theme. Had that uh, no contest with Nate Campbell. Lamont Peterson, Avergu, Alexander, Casamayor, Manny. However you thought about that fight, he still fought Manny three times. Didn't probably need to do that. Provoktikov. His best win that you actually thought 100% that he won was a guy, you know, against my guy, um, Juan Manuel Marquez, obviously. Had that really tight fight with Gabriel Chavez, Vargas, Brandon Rios. I mean, that's just a hell of a run. I mean, where do you see, like, the easy one there? You know what I mean? You just you just really don't. So, shots out to I know I do give him some shit uh, as a you know a broadcaster, but that's two different the two different worlds. I lo- I know a lot of people were down on his style. I personally really liked it. I loved how he just grinded the fights out. And then Carl Froch, um, really starting with Jean Pascal. I mean, look at this run this fucking guy had. He only had two losses during this time. Okay, Jean Pascal. Jermaine Taylor, which he was down and had to knock him out in the 12th. Andre Durrell. Did he win that fight? I don't know, but Durrell was bear-hugging uh, on the road, which, you know, doesn't line up for a victory. The Kessler fight was good. He lost it. Would come back on that one, though. Arthur Abraham, Glenn Johnson, lost clearly to Andre Ward, came right back and dominated Boutte. Uh, I mean, Boutte got off. Uh, on him. Uh, Yusuf Mack was like the only gimme, and then he went right to Kessler. 
And then Groves got off the mat against Groves. To you know, that was a tough ass fight, but then really, you know, put him in the dirt after that. I mean, he really remember that pose. I remember all those UK fight fans doing the pose with the one knee back, kind of like you're stretching, looking like you're putting one one uh, leg back and stretching out. Oh man, that was that was nasty, dude. That was nasty. So Carl Froch. That dude, I know he'll talk about, oh, I fought in front of 80,000 in Wembley and all that, you know, and, but that dude had a stretch, man. He had a stretch run that you don't really see a whole lot of times. And most of those guys, I mean, who, you t- okay, Taylor wasn't in his prime, but he wasn't done. I mean, he was winning that fight. Um, so, yeah, that, uh, you know, I definitely think all three of those. Uh, guy should be in the Hall of Fame. I know there's some talk about some people saying not no fraud. It's like, dude, are you paying attention here? <laughs> you know what are you talking about, dude? Um, and he he made himself known, Bradley, at 140. Um, and yeah, you know the American fight didn't. Uh, we later find out that he could have fought Floyd, maybe sure or not, maybe he could have. But I mean, dude. And he fought Marquez when he was hot, right? I actually I picked Marquez in that damn fight. I'm still pissed off now. Okay, so here's uh we're gonna get into some fight news. Uh, Bill Haney and Bob Aram sitting down talking multi-fight offers. That was a nice little video from uh, right, you know, talking and then showing Bob and be like, hey, we're uh, we're here talking business, and it was kind of it was kind of. Uh, Um, what do we got here? Um, do, 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 oh yeah, so that kind of triggered. So Dev was at Devin Haney and Shakur Stevenson were at the same uh, party, so to speak, the same outdoor club, and <laughs> Shakur sent something over like a bottle with the sign the contract, you know, as if there's a contract just to sign him right. Like it's it's a done deal. You all you gotta do is sign it. That to me was a little little overboard. Um, Haney said, um, "Okay, so this is what he says. Finally, you speak up for yourself. Bob just told the world the three fights um, he's about to offer you, little bro. Let's get active. It's about that time." And that's what Shakur said. Then Haney says, "We just had a meeting with Bob today." You wasn't one of the three fights that he offered. Now, he did delete that, okay? So, I don't know if he was just messing around or whatever, but he said, you know, here you go, capping on the Internet. If that's what you're saying, you're not fighting me. Next, just say it because we all, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I think he's just going, you know, through the uh, – I think he's just going through the stages of – and I'm talking about Devin Haney, you know, going, going to see what he's got. You know, the, he talked to Eddie. Now he's talking to uh, Bob. I mean, why not go through this uh, process? I think that's pretty cool. Um, so we'll see. We'll see where that goes. We'll see if, uh, you know, he gets an offer from uh, Alan. Um, speaking of, well, it's a combo news, right? We'll get to Samson in just a second. 
But Canelo is supposedly, this is Boxing King Media talking to uh, Skills Challenge Entertainment, Amira Abdallah. Um, he said it's agreed upon for Saudi Arabia. Canelo Alvarez and Badu Jack. But the thing is, you know, they, they want Jack's WBC cruiserweight. But the thing is, can they find the weight? That That's what they're talking about. Now, Jamal Charlo, just the other day on Instagram, was saying, Demetrius Andre, answer your phone. <laughs> that's, that's just what he picked. And I don't know if he's saying, okay, that's my backup plan. And because I'm, I'm hearing Badu Jack, right? I'm hearing that Canelo's going to fight Badu Jack. But um, Michael Coppinger came out yesterday, and basically Canelo Alvarez eyes Jamal, excuse me, Charlo, or Badu Jack. That, that's what it uh, Canelo is planning a second fight 2023, and those are the leading co- uh, candidates. Sources told ESPN um, Alvarez, Alvarez in his – you know, trainer manager Eddie Reynoso met with the PBC Al Heyman last week in the Cleveland area where a fall fight was offered. It was discussed for Jamal Charlo. Um, and then, like I said, you know, the other part of that is the Saudi Arabia offer. And, and can they, you know, um, he basically said that, that big items do, he said the big items are agreed upon. Uh, which is an approximate date in the financials, right? But like I said, it's the weight. So I wasn't anticipating Charlo to be in this round of it. Um, You can think however you want to think about that. I just thought, man, he's been out of the ring. It's going to be two years pretty soon. And, you know, I don't know. It's just I, I just didn't I gotta admit, I didn't think that Charlo would be now maybe he's not. It's just but they clearly they, you know, they went for it. So that they're, they're offering. But the first offer was, you know, Samson in the PBC offering. You know, we, we, we know that they offered it. Canelo, you know, went a different way, whatever the hell you wanna say. Um but Basically, that that I don't know that that's what uh this is what he this is what Samson actually had to say here. Uh, we had a friendly meeting after which I I promised to send the proposal, um, and then it, you know Reynoso insults me by claiming uh, he never received a proposal. I sent my email, my text message, and my WhatsApp. What's up app? Or yeah, WhatsApp. What's up app? Um, there's no way he didn't receive it. The only thing he's looking for is legacy for Canelo, blah, blah, blah. The package for Alvarez was offered, could have, his, could have exceeded $60 million per source when according, uh, or when accounting, sorry, this is really little print. When account, accounting his uh, international TV rights upside from the gate in the pay-per-view, uh, which obviously would do a big number. Um, but Samson hit us with a fight that we're not we're familiar with um, because we heard about this, right? We heard about this. We started going around and saying, hey, you know, we, we had a deal in place. 
we were going to try – we're trying to get that fight. But if not, we have a deal in place. We tried to get the Canelo fight. didn't work out. So we're going to – you know, October, he says. Samson has said Benavides and Canelo is off, and Benavides is versus David Morrell Jr. in October. And the co-feature would be Mendoza versus Fundora Part 2. Credit Boxeo de, Col- de Colombia. Dude, Mendoza Fundora 2 on the fucking co-feature? Sign me the fuck up for that. Now, this is Samson, though, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, who knows? He was talking about, you know, Andre or Morel or, you know, he's been talking about a lot of people. So we, we really don't know for a fact, but that's what he said. You know, he said that it's already been signed uh, prior to the Canelo offer, and uh, the only out in the contract was, you know, getting that. Now, he also said something about um, he thinks it's going to outsell the Canelo fight and the event and all that. Like, okay, dude, I mean, whatever. Um, he said he, this is what he said, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, it would not surprise me if that will sell more than Canelo is going to sell. Um, but, I don't know, they're saying that it'd be a Showtime pay-per-view in October. Like I said, if you do that main event, and then you turn around and you put that as a co-feature, <laughs> Sign me up, dude. Sign me the fuck up. I'll take that all day long and twice on Sundays. Emmanuel Nevret, 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 and Oscar Valdez done deal. What is it? August twelfth on ESPN. Really looking forward to that. Um, we have a Zhang Joyce rematch set for September second, according to Coppinger in London. So that'll be, I mean, talk about going right back into it. That, that's going to be interesting. So here's what Teofimo said on Sean Porter, the Porter Way podcast. The only way to get Teofimo back, is what he said, from retirement, is a nine-figure contract because I've made ESPN over $100 million. <laughs> Come on, dude. Come on. You haven't, you haven't made him over $100 million. Now, or... He's the guy who, you know, missed weight. I'll surprise everybody again versus Shakur Stevenson. Easy fight to make. Well, dude, just just settle in. Gritty said it best, talking all that shit lately about the professional and dis- disciplined, undisputed champion, um, only to miss a fight check. Focus on the wrong things, buddy. Okay, yeah, he's been talking a ton of shit, dude. Um, today, Spence... In Crawford, I didn't get to see the whole thing. I just saw some clips. This was their L.A. They're going to do New York um, tomorrow. I heard it started out slow, and then it got a little better. They started talking a little bit of shit. I heard they both looked in sounded country, but, you know, what do you, what do you expect? Uh, Sean Zidell from uh, Fight Hype said, what do you make of, uh, you know, Spence's Duncan and Garnett compared? And Crawford said, man, listen, I'm Kobe. That's who I am. I don't know who he is, but I, but he ain't beating me. <laughs> he just goes right to it. I thought that was pretty damn funny. Um, he said, oh, then Spence, Spence 
because one of his best lines was, I'm not going to lie, top rank got the best matchmakers in the business. You ain't fought nobody. You haven't beat anybody. You haven't beat at 140, but who'd you fight at 135? Who'd you fight at 147? And, and also, uh, Bud came back with, uh, well, we don't drink and smoke over here, you know? And he also said, you call yourself a big fish, a shark or whatever. We're going to like, you know, gut you and serve you up. And it was, I don't know, it was pretty funny. Um, let's see, July 8th will be the first installment of the All Access Showtime series. It will be eighty four ninety nine. No, no big surprise there. Um, so that's, uh, that's that. Someone sent me this earlier. Billy Joe Saunders exchanging DMs with Edgar Berlanga today. I'm looking for a comeback to fight you available, you bum. Oh, I'm looking for a comeback fight with you available. Or are you available, you bum? He said, how's the eye doing? You, 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 can, you can see now? <laughs> That's what Berlanga said to him. He said, I don't need one. Billy Joe Saunders said, I only need one eye for your pussy boy. You got a record full of bums, so when you want a lesson, hit Eddie up. Bring your mom over also. Because, okay, 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 okay. Okay, Let, let's just calm down a little bit. Oh, this is what it, this is from Jake Donovan. He quoted uh, Crawford. I'm going to gut him. I'm going to feed him to everybody that eat fish in here. You call yourself a big fish. We're going to have enough food for everybody. Put some potatoes on the side, too. <laughs> See, it was nice and country. Uh, this is Vic. Shouts out to Vic. Spence and Bub could, Bud could get a decent fade or lineup for the presser. Yeah, I did hear that they once again, you know, it was it was country. Okay, a little country. Um, Teofimo goes after. So Derek James, I guess I didn't hear this part, but I guess he, you know, corrected, tried to correct somebody about the four belt thing because we know that. Lopez is lineal. And up until these recent years, lineal was a big deal. Now I guess it's such a, a big deal to be undisputed, which I know it is, but, but lineal is the only thing that really matters, okay, to be honest with you. And to just throw away lineal like it's, like Max Kellerman was like, he's basically undisputed. No, he's lineal, dude. He's lineal. Like, He's got to beat religious prograde, dude. Like you just can't, you just can't do that. You can't do that. Not only that, but you could, if you're gonna say, well, he beat Taylor, beat him. Okay, cool. Well, a lot of people thought Taylor lost his last fight. Shit, you could say the same thing about, you know, Sandor Martin, who, by the way, we need to put more respect on his name. But Teofimo Lopez said so. Terrence Croppers em- emphasizes he has a chance to be the first male boxer to win the four belt on the speed at two weights. And that's where Derek James came in. I don't know if he was kids or what. I didn't hear it, but that's what it. Teofimo says to Jake, don't be that kind of groupie, Jake Donovan. How can someone call themselves real when expressing false information? Which is like, dude, false information? You don't got all the fucking belts, dude. You're not undisputed. Who gives a fuck? You're lineal. Uh, Derek James is correct. I am the first male to do it. Errol Spence, this is why I am content with retiring uh, from this new era of mediocre boxing. Like, it's just, oh, boy. It's just sometimes, dude. It's just sometimes. I just 
get it. But this is Ray Diggs. This is what happens when two country dudes meet in the ring. Yep. That, that's that's it. Um, more quotes. This is Dan Raphael. I guarantee you everyone's going to witness something special. That night he got a big heart. I got a big heart. He loves the fight. I love the fight. It's going to be a great night. This is uh, you know, definitely a legacy fight, which obviously it is. Um, Spence also said, everything I've been through the last two, three years, I should be in the underdog. Yeah, that, I mean, he's got a point there. You know, he's got a point there. Um, let's see. Uh, couple more news items here. And then, so, Eddie Hearn, supposedly, uh, after Regis wins, if he comes through this fight, obviously he's going to make an offer uh, to Devin Haney. Devin Haney will be ringside. That fight is in New Orleans. That's a great fight. That is definitely a great fight. By the way, this is uh, Tay Jones, who's inside the camp of Wilder. And this is Deontay Wilder. Wilder expects to return to the ring no later than September he already has a date, and he already has an opponent. Now, is that Andy Ruiz? Is it Otto Wallen? Who is it? I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, this is the Boxing King Media again from that same interview with the uh, from the Skills Challenge Entertainment dude, uh, Amir. He says. Uh, has denied that they've made an official offer to Anthony Joshua in Wilder. Is there interest in the fight? Yes, but there's there hasn't been an official offer made. The answer is no. Now, I thought he said that about the theory, and the reason why I say that, well, it's because I thought that's what he said, <laughs> right? But also, um, Deontay Wilder, this is mere fighting, has declared that he fully believes Anthony Joshua fight will take place in December, Saudi Arabia. The offer is definitely out there, and it's a real thing. I think it's definitely going to take place. And Eddie Hearn said they have, they don't have a contract, but they have an offer. This is what he said. He told IFL-TV, while Hearn has received a formal offer for the Wilder fight, he doesn't have an actual contract. We have an offer without a contract, so we'll need to wait for the contract, you know, uh, just discussing it. We had an email conversation today. We got a call probably later today. Like I said, AJ is fighting August 12th. Uh, we'd like it to be against Dillian White in the rematch, see if we can make a deal, and then fight in December. So if both of them have it. So by the way, Kevin Ioli said that the Taylor fight, uh, with just a few tickets remaining, um, is the highest grossing boxing event in the theater. The Loma fights against Pedraza and Rigo were one and two. This one at the time was 747,000. So whether it cleared 800,000, I don't know. But consider, you know, that's why they overpriced the tickets because they wanted to make the biggest gate uh, that they could. Huey P from my neck of the woods up there in Fargo, he quoted after, uh, you know, Flores got upset. Robert Diaz doesn't matter. He's just a matchmaker. That was uh that was uh you know, that was Oscar <laughs> saying that. Uh because, you know, he basically was like, uh, he's just you know, just a matchmaker. There's not 
there's not much to it, you know. No, no big, you know, no, no big things. Now, Bob Arum has said that Teofimo uh, has three years on his contract. So, I don't know. And now we know for sure that um, Isak Cruz will be taking on Cabrera. Uh, he's a guy that um, did really well against Rene uh, Tellez, right? And Tellez had gotten that big uh, upset against a prospect a while back, uh, Baldross. Baldross, Carlos Baldross. So I like that fight. I like that fight. Here, this is boxing, the boxing voice. There was another, I think at the IFL, he said this too, that, you know, He's he's uh, received. Hearn has received the offer. Um, he just doesn't have you know the other part. And here's some more bullshit, dude. He said this on three knockdown rule. Bob Arum has said he will not push to make the Bibble beat your BF due to the WBC ban on Russian fighters. You know, um, Bivol from fighting for the belt. He's preventing that. Hundred uh, percent. Support Ukraine. I applaud Solomon for the possession he's taken. It's just so funny because they're both Russian fighters. <laughs> so it's like, and they both don't live in Russia, you know? So it's like, how are you going? He, it's not like Bibble's out there on a tank in the Russian, you know, army. Like, he's a fighter, dude. That, that shit is so fucking weak, man. I'm, t- I'm telling you. It is just so weak, dude. I just, I just can't get over it. By the way, um, Devin Haney, someone, the Rise podcast said the same way you called Eddie, you could call Al. And Haney said, yeah, because Al is just somebody you can call. And I brought that up, by the way. It's true. It's, he's not the easiest guy just to get a hold of out of nowhere. By the way, that uh, the Brett Day uh, Veldes fight is going to be in Glendale. Once again, Arizona, getting them fights, man. Oh, yeah, someone reiterated the final tally for Ring Magazine, Taylor, 21-0. to Eddie Hearn also said this on IFL TV, I believe, about the Bibble rematch with Alvarez. Eddie Hearn told me, he said, it's not even a case of Bibble pricing himself out. He just feels he has a certain value in the fight, and at the moment, we're not there. And, you know, Devin Haney said those, you know, the three, uh, basically the, the, the three fights that they offered me, top rank, they weren't Shakur. That's what he said. Um, and I wouldn't doubt if they try to, you know, make Shakur fight Loma first. I wouldn't doubt if Loma has a, you know, a decent state busy fight. Maybe it's going to be that vacant WBO. I don't know. But Bob Arum, he said the three three options. This is what he said on the three down or three knockdown rule. He said Shakur, Loma rematch, or Taylor Lopez winner. We know Lopez. So I don't know which one, you know, to believe 100%. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. So the, did I talk about this last week? Someone sent me this WBC Prez. Tyson Fury is a victim of what the world is today. Nobody wants to fight him. Oh, yeah? I'm not going to read that article. Um, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, this is Ty. 
Uh, Shouts out to Ty, Mr. Keeping It 100 Boxing. Gigi, so Gigi would stop Tommy Hearns, but he's not, but he ain't stopping Danny Jacobs, Chanko. Because some, you know, people are out there saying, Golovkin stops Tommy, no problem. It's like, dude, so why'd he stop these other people? Oh, this is what, this is what, this is from Boxing News, right, for Oscar De La Hoya boxing news. How big of a loss is Robert Diaz been to Golden Boy? A matchmaker, this is what Oscar said, a matchmaker is a matchmaker, and we just move on. We have other matchmakers in our business, and we're doing better than ever. You know, I gotta admit, it hasn't been as good on the undercards. Caleb Truax is returning June 24th against Burley Brooks. Brooks is uh, trained by, um, by Derek James. So we'll see. We'll see how he's doing. I think if I got time, I'm, I might go to his uh, public workout tomorrow and say what's up to him. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not easy just to talk to Al, but now that we've heard Eddie Hearn is going to announce, or he's not, well, you know, he's going to announce a lot of shit, right? But he, uh, now that we know Eddie says, and he'll say it after the fight, before and after, I'm sure, um, that he's going to offer Haney the fight with Prograde. Well, that'll be out there enough. And, and then, you know, they're sitting down with Bob, at least yesterday Haney was, or, you know, Bill Haney. And uh, so they're they're probably mounting some offers, and, and hopefully, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he gets an offer from the PPC as well. Kind of matters, you know, how quick he wants to, uh, you know, come back. Uh, Lo Hannishaw, good follow on Twitter. Uh, she said there's, she put out this, uh, the uh, International Olympic Committee has released a 24-page document detailing their intentions to withdraw the recognition, recognition of the IBA, formerly AIBA, U.S. Boxing uh, led the charge, terminating their 70-year membership to the IBI, formerly AIBI, or BA, uh, only weeks ago, um, concerns shared by, you know, the International Olympic. So hopefully the Paris uh, 2024. So, yeah, so it's uh, Lo Hanisha. That's So you can at her, and she's got a, a nice little uh, anyway. Let's say, all right, let's let's go. This is uh, Jay, or AJ. Um, if, you, if you need proof, Dan, the man, was still involved in boxing. It was the WBA ordering O'Hara Davis for a title because you know nobody gives a fuck about him or Lee. <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, Don King. Oscar De La Hoya sent out a waiver. He wants me to. He wants to meet with us. Broner, nah. Let him know if you want to come over here. We got a fish. We got fish nets for him. Come over here with fish nets. I'm gonna kick his ass. Whoever they put in the ring. Anybody with the title. I see what his name. What's his name? Uh, Romello, Retardo. What's his name? Oh, Roly. I want him. I want the winner of you know Teofimo. Uh, I don't want just Louis and Gucci belts. I want the WBA, WBO, and all that good stuff. 
Um, Lord, of, <laughs> Lord of the Flies. Oh, God. A.B., attorney down, above briefings, avoid bailiffs, ascending bench trials. And Rye said, avoid the booking, beloved. Shots out. Um, yeah, this, this Kellerman stuff, it's really weird. Oh, Victor Santian Santi- Santi- lost a decision uh, in Japan to Shoichi. Joe Ishida? Ishida, that's what it was. I think it was, this is Broadway Joel, 118, uh, final eliminator. Boog, actually, Boog Williams said, whatever the scores are all over the place, that usually means, uh, you know, somebody got robbed. 118-110 for Victor, and 116 for Ishida. I, I didn't see that fight. I'll just admit it. I'll just admit it right away. Um... This is Jose Ramirez. Man, tonight got me pumped up. Congrats to Teo. Honestly, I ain't going to let no one dictate my career. I want him next. Uh, how? Because I'm ranked high in the WBO, winning my last two fights. I'll fight Regis for the unification match. That's my goal for the next two fights. That would be great. Uh, after his fight, is he a uh, free agent? Anyway kind of interesting. UFC, they don't want to confirm that September 16th at the T-Mobile Arena, uh, UFC has, they're going to celebrate Mexican Independence Day. September 16th. So, so, does that kind of tell you, uh, you know, that Canelo's not going to fight in the States? Not that they couldn't go head-to-head at, you know, at the MGM, and if it was Canelo uh, Charlo, I'm sure they wouldn't put on the strongest card, but I don't know the card, so I'll just admit that I, I don't know the card, what the card they were thinking of putting or anything like that, so I, I don't know. Um, this is kind of funny. David Lopez, uh, Boxing Twitter, Edwards, Sonny Edwards, is like Prince Nazim without the talent and charisma. <laughs> I think he's got some charisma, but he, he doesn't got that much. Um, if Spence beat Crawford, Kellerman is going to come up with a reason why winning four belts in the four-belt era doesn't actually make you undefeated. Yeah, right? No shit, dude. Aye, aye, aye. Okay. Um, I think that's about it. I think that's about Uncle Pete, one more. Shakur is out doing the most trying to get this fight with Haney while Bob negotiating a rematch for Loma. Neither his management nor top rank seem to support him in any way publicly. Uh, All right. That'll do it. Hopefully we get some fights to pop off. Aline Goodman, like I said on paper, seems to be the tightest uh, one. So hopefully that, that's a good fight. Hopefully we get some just good TV action or whatever. Just, just some good fights. Anyway, I'm out. Enjoy the week in peace. Once you become the world champion, I believe that you feel you have the upper hand. So now, when, as you fight, let's say you fight for five years of straight survival, of bullshit, of the whole bag. And when you become the world champion, like, you know what? That made it. That will show you. Every dollar worth of 
I'm, 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 I'm,